Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, Owen Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kulsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, happy St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day. I'm wearing forest green, even though I live alone and there's no one around to pinch me if I didn't wear green. And I still did it anyway. Oh, good for you. I'm uh, rocking a bit of a teal uh, green kind of situation. I don't have that many. I have like a dark, like hunter green thing I could have worn. Yeah, that's, but... what, that's basically what I've got. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So so I feel like we're re- representing uh, a little bit of, of you know, the, the St. Patty's Day love. Though I feel like the best way as TV people to really celebrate St. Patrick's Day is, of course, watch a bunch of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia um, and spend some quality time at Patty's Pub. My sister and her, her husband have uh, recently discovered It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, like in the past week. So they've been uh-huh. mainlining it um, and enjoying just everyone being terrible. So I feel like they're they're very prepped for the holiday. Do you do anything special for St. Patrick's Day? No. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I, I don't do much special for any holidays, really. Um, so, no, I'm not doing anything in particular. I will probably just, uh, well, I would say I would watch TV, but I don't have any TV to watch because I'm caught up. All of the we TV. watched all of the TV this week, Kate. Oh, listeners, you have, <laughs> like, it's insane, the amount of TV, like, of different shows that we watch. And I still didn't catch a couple. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm a little I behind. I caught everything. You got all of the TV that you watch. Yeah. And yeah, I I watched like twenty five shows this week. Yeah, yeah, and I'm at a around there. I just I didn't get didn't get to Greenleaf, uh, didn't get to Trial and Error. But we we should we we're dilly dallying a bit too much here at the top because while it is delightful to to chat St. Patty's Day, I was a good consumer and went and got a Shamrock Shake. I mm-hmm. uh, I I that's a bit of a St. Patrick's Day tradition for myself because I don't get it the rest of the time because sure. It'll just destroy me because it's so unhealthy. Right. Um, but I do. I do. Wait, that. what's in a shamrock shake? Then? Sugar. Right. But just I'm, like I'm just so much sugar. And like, where do you get one of these from? McDonald's. McDonald's. Okay. Yes. That explains everything. This is not like yeah. a Culver's Dairy Queen situation. Oberweiss. Okay. No, there's nothing real about this. It's just a bunch of green food coloring and very processed sugar. A um, little bit of mint. But um, oh. but we yeah as previously we've got all of the TV to talk about. So um, at the end of the show, we we'll, this is our final week of of Klexiconness, um <laughs> here. It's been a bit of a, a, we apologize if you're feeling over Klexiconed at the podcast, but we wanted to share the audio from our panel that we spoke on. We spoke on that panel, of course, with uh, which was moderated by a friend of the show, uh, Dr. Elizabeth Bridges, um, and it was the two of us as well as Bridget Lazuski from uh, uh, TV Junkies, editor in chief over at TV Junkies, and that was a lot of fun. Um, I wanted to give a particular shout out to one of the attendees of the con who actually recorded it <laughs> for us and sent the audio in, and that's Kate. So thank you, Kate, uh, for for hooking us up with the audio from from that. Uh, we're pretty clear on the on the um, recording. Some of the questions from the audience are a little harder to hear, um, so we apologize for any of the audio quality issues. But hopefully, you guys enjoyed the segment. We had we had fun um, doing that. So that's coming again at the end of the podcast. But it's going to be a long one this week because we have so many shows. Again, so many shows. March and not April. again. I feel like I feel like this is the first time we've had. No, a no, lot no. of shows. 
again, March and April are going to kill us, oh, as we've said right, before. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, it's yes, you're correct. This is the first really big show list we've had in a while, and it, that's yeah. not going to trim down anytime soon. But with, we should then stop delaying. I should stop monologuing uh, as you patiently sip some tea <laughs> over there, water. It's ginger ale. Ginger yeah. ale, delicious. Um, uh, so let, let's take a break, listen to a little music, and come back with our week in comedy and reality. We'll be right back after this. Your love is better than ice cream Better than anything else that I've tried Your love is better than ice cream Everyone here knows how to fight And it's a long way down It's a long This week in comedy and reality, we're going to talk a little bit, or I should say Noel's going to talk a little bit about the uh, premiere and pilot uh, of Trial and Error, which this week had pilot and a wrench in the case. Uh, I did not get to that one, so I have many questions, Noel. Hopefully you can help me out with that. Uh, I will talk a bit about the season three premiere of Review, Locorito, Putting a Pet to Sleep, Making Your Dream Come True. Um, then we have the detour, the birth. Just wanted to check in a little bit on that, and then we'll we'll spend a little more time on blackish, on blackish maternity and fresh off the boat, the flush, as well as speechless D I ding. Um, before we we switch over a little bit to reality, talk a little Rachel Maddow this week, uh, and and round up with a little happier and on a bit of a less. A stressful note, maybe, with some Great British Bake Off series for four. So Great British Baking Show season one. It's just, well, Noel will explain it when we get to it. First up, though. <laughs> I'm, ch- I'm, I'm really impressed that you think I can explain it. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think really we should just call Netflix and, and, and yeah. also uh, C- uh, like PBS. And Love Productions. And they like, should nice. have to explain yeah. themselves for that, yeah. Um, but first up, again, is Trial and Error. Now, this... All I knew about this was that it was the show with John Lithgow, and it's called Trial and Error. So I assumed it was a drama that was an hour long. And then I find out, no, it's a comedy, and it's a mockumentary, and actually, maybe it's decent. So um, what is this about? Uh, Is it any good? Should I check it out? Right. So uh, Lithgow's character is Larry Henderson, which feels like a Harry and the Hendersons um, homage in a lot of ways. But he plays a small town South Carolina poet who is accused of killing his wife and um, his parents-in-law. They hire a Northeastern lawyer, by which I mean the polite Southern word for Jewish lawyer. Uh, because that's what they think is the best course of action, which kind of gives you a hint of the kind of broad spectrum of humor that's going to be at play here, because there's lampooning everything from Southern blue laws to polite Southern hospitality, and then just kind of general weirdness with Sherry Shepard's character, who has a variety of conditions, including fainting at beautiful works of art, and also face blindness, and just all (laughs) sorts of... It's it's a very wide spectrum humor type of approach that they're going for. 
So it's not the same type of like hit to miss ratio in that, oh, that joke didn't land. You get another one coming right up that has marked a lot of NBC comedy. But in this case, it's more, well, if you don't like this style of humor, then this character provides this or this joke will provide this. And so it feels like a broad spectrum antibiotic of comedy (laughs) in a lot of ways. But it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Like, it's lampooning of the true crime procedural, I think, is has, like, some charm to it. And a lot of it relies heavily on the fact that uh, John Lithgow is, as we all know at this point in his career, is game for anything. And he throws himself in wholeheartedly in uh, Nick DeGosto. He's he's the lawyer that gets drafted to help. And he's 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 got actually a really good kind of fish out of water kind of floundering about in being in the South as a guy from New York. Um, But it's all very aw shucks, not a hard edge type of New York. So all of, it, all of it feels pretty good. I'm probably going to check out a couple more episodes, um, despite not being a huge fan of the mockumentary format. But these are also people who are very much aware of the camera in a lot of ways, which I like, like even in like they're like ad- aggressively aware of the camera sometimes, which I like, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to pretending the camera is there and then not going with the fact that they're in some sort of mockumentary format. Um, but no, it's, 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 it's good so far. So I'm, I'm eager to watch more. Um, I'd encourage you to at least check out the first two episodes. Um, cause they're both kind of piloty in the sense that the second episode rehashes a lot of stuff. Okay. Yeah. So. The, I, when, when I heard that they were burning off two episodes a week, I just kind of assumed it would probably be terrible. So, mm-hmm. uh, that's certainly, we saw it getting decent reviews. I was like, then why are they with? two episodes a week i'm confused um so that's a little heartening have you seen the staircase i heard a lot of people comparing it as a, like a more direct parody of the staircase i've never watched the staircase and i've always neither, wanted to um <laughs> it's something i've always want meant to get to and i actually think it's on netflix now huh but i think don't quote me it may have been on there and i just waited too long to watch it <laughs> but it's probably very much operating in that vein from what i know about it for sure okay Cool. Well, I, I will let you know if I if I check in with it and, and give my thoughts uh, certainly next week. But I was more uh, excited for, but like it's not even close. I was very excited for this week the premiere of Review, uh, which took last year off, and uh, we have what appears to be a three episode final season. Uh, I thought they might do all of them this week, but it turns out they're doing one episode a week. Uh, this oh, week okay. we have Locarito putting a pet to sleep. And making your dream come true are the reviews that that Forrest McNeil reviews. Of course, for those who don't know, reviews about a guy who has a TV show on which he reviews life experiences, and it seems like that's a standalone thing, but it's actually a really fascinating if you're if if you're me look at a very distinct character, and it's really funny, and it's pretty messed up. Uh, I like it a bunch more than Noel does, but that's okay. Oh, I just, I, I think it peaked with uh, Pancake's Divorce Pancake and they're always aching. I think that those two episodes pretty much encapsulate the show. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really need anything else after that. See, and I don't even necessarily care that much for those episodes. So, yeah. which I think is heathenry to a lot of, of review fans. But, you know, fair enough. Um, th- This was a really, again, a, a strong restart to the season. I like the little glimpses we get of where Forrest and like everybody sort of are is at at this point the the stuff with AJ was like a little bit too much for me even like a little she's because she's very much directly interacting with the viewers at home with the with the camera um reacting to what Forrest is saying um so there's 
you know, AJ is so much fun and actually I really enjoy that performance, but I felt like it was maybe a touch too much, but everything else was balanced so well. Um, I look forward to how the season will shape up. Um, I'm certain there is a very distinct plan in place, but uh, I had a lot of fun with this one. And oh man, Forrest. Okay, so Forrest has to review a a burrito, the new whatever burrito from Taqueria Locarito or whatever. But the trouble is, they went out of business while he was missing in the wilderness, presumed dead. So he mm-hmm. he hunts down a six month old one that some hoarder has kept and eats that. Uh, well, that sounds like a terrible idea. Yes, and then and then instead of putting a pet to sleep, doing what AJ suggests, where you sing a lullaby to a cat, <laughs> he's like, no, I have to be honest to what they meant, and they meant euthanasia, so let's do pet euthanasia. It's just ridiculous and terrible and delightful at all the same time. So I continue to really enjoy this, and given the way the last season ended, I did not know how they could really come back and start it again, but if they gave... I think having a, a year off in between gave even the viewers more distance as well. Uh, so, so we're more willing to accept it. <laughs> and also there's this sense that the force is just sort of reset himself. Like uh, there's other lingering stuff with what he's dealing with, obviously big changes in his life since the last season, but you, you get a very strong sense that this is performative even to himself. And so then that, that lets you buy in. Um, but yeah, Andy Daly continues to do just such terrific work uh, as as Forrest, and um, I look forward to seeing how the season ends up. So uh, I will I'll leave it there. Otherwise, I could either I could probably talk. Well, but a lot. I, I want to know what how many stars each experience got. Well, you can look that up on on the on the <laughs> Wikipedia page if you are so curious. You know, curious. But um, the Locarito, I, I want to say the Locarito was one star, definitely one star. Um, I think putting a pet to sleep was three stars and making your dream come true, which he took very literally, um, was also three stars. Okay. Um, so Jessica St. Clair pops up, um, very briefly (laughs) as his ex-wife, um, as Forrest's ex-wife, uh, and always delightful. And there's like almost certainly she's going to have to, well, maybe they could leave it just where it is. Where she just peeks her head out of like the door and says, "Tells him to fuck off, basically." And no, you can't have the dog for any reason. Um, and then, um, but it, I, I'm hoping we'll get a little bit more with some of these recurring characters, figures in Forest life that he's obsessed with um, before the series winds up. But yeah, uh, yeah. So, what do you think? What, do, what any of those sound uh, worth investigating? There. I, I I do not want to put my animal to sleep. Um, yeah. Unless it's unless it is actually doing a lullaby, and then yeah. I will do that. You'll do that. See, I feel like you could rock that. I feel like we could all yeah. rock that. Um, yeah. Let's move on to the detour, which we haven't checked in on in a couple of weeks. Um, what did you think of the birth and the reveal? I guess that Jerub wasn't Jerub. a typo, but but is was actually Yarub. Uh, a yeah. very intentional name that, uh, you know, we've just kind of glazed over until this point when it's revealed that there's some questions. Of tra- I, I, I do not think he, he's going to be the father. Yeah, I don't think so either. Um, I'm enjoying this whole back and forth with it, though, mm-hmm. uh, much more than I was expecting to, because I was I, I was a little worried about another flashback episode right on the heels of another flashback episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this one 
was really, really funny. A really good, again, a really good showcase for Jason Jones doing a lot of big physical comedy this week. And it was very, very funny, but I totally agree with you in that I'm, I feel pretty confident in so far as Jareb will not be Jareb. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, he will not be Carlos's son, basically. Yeah. Uh, but it's still, it, 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 I'm also wondering, like, again, and this goes back to like uh, the, some of the, I guess, framing device flash forward stuff in which they're being interrogated by law enforcement and their story is slowly falling apart as we progress through the, I guess, the past, but yeah, the past stuff <laughs> and how all of that is like going to kind of come together in some way. I, I'm still not sure, but I'm, I'm enjoying how each, they're ending up informing one another in ways that they weren't really doing, I felt like, last season. What did you think of having all those different identities just explained away so quickly as like a series of of weddings that you know green card marriages that were in Natalie's characters past and not like these really complicated but like just the kind of in a couple minutes just wrote off explained away every single one of those are you are you glad for that the streamlining of it or are you or do you think of the missed opportunities of exploring these different personalities no i'm actually no i think it was a good streamlining effort that they did there uh, in part because it it I think anything more complicated than that would make her too much of a mastermind. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that, as much as I like Robin and as smart as Robin is, I feel like she's also not necessarily hot motivated enough to be any more comp- as con woman than what she's doing with these green cards. So I feel like that all kind of worked really well for me. And a lot of the humor that they pulled out of that I thought was really good. How did you feel about it then? I yeah, I was a little disappointed at first, but I do agree that this that it makes more sense um to do it this way. Uh we we also get a fun answer for what's in the duffel and it's an ass. Um, that's that's pretty entertaining and I really liked the way that they soften the blow of the tension uh in the court case and the end of the episode with the reveal that um, they've been basically messing with the cops questioning them for two seasons now Yeah, um, in the future. I, I thought that that was a really nice way to go. And it, it, again, it, it keeps things, the tone much more sweet and supportive, um, which is, I think, a bit more fitting for what the show has always been. Right. And I think even like the end of this week's episode uh, with the birth uh, is that, the like the last little bit of them just standing in the hallway and looking kind of anxious and confused mm-hmm. and not sure what to do really helped a lot. Just like it really sells this idea of the Parkers, well, the Parker and the Randall um, <laughs> as as this group that fits and works together, but is also doesn't want is still also kind of weirdly fragile because of just their weird dynamics in a lot of ways, I think. And I I really liked how that scene played out with very little dialogue and just the way it was shot as well with this ending with this like long shot down the hallway of them. I I just, I really, really liked how they're blending tones. Yeah. Yeah. It's working. And uh, it's a lot more streamlined this season than I was anticipating. Like the stuff with Carlos, it like having him be such an important figure in her life, recurring figure through time makes for a very different 
like backstory than than certainly than I was expecting from what we right. saw, saw earlier in the season. So it, that's it, it's interesting and um, yeah, I, I was, again it, I laugh out loud watching it consistently and I think they're I like that they're still finding new fun things to do uh, yeah. with their flashbacks and everything too. It's it's not old yet and it should be so. Way to go, the detour for keeping things fresh. Um, let's move on to Blackish and Manternity. And this, I was a little, uh, I was glad that they were taking on the topic of paternity leave and, um, you know, what it means to be pregnant in the workplace for Bo. Um, but this was a little, uh, a little of a downtick for me with, with them with Blackish. It was a little uh, underwhelming, a little disappointing. Like the the the, the students, uh, the students. The children so quickly ganging up on, on Black Nanny. Vivian. <laughs> on Vivian. Um, uh, didn't, I didn't she has buy a name. it for a moment. And yeah. um, I, that didn't really work for me either. And I didn't buy Bo flipping on her so quickly. I just, it felt a little too pulled. Like, 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 they, like they wanted to make points, and so that's why they did it. And, and as opposed to it feeling organic. Well, they wanted to make points, but I'm not sure they made a point was my really big problem with this episode. Like after she doesn't get the partnership job, Bo goes back to her uh, colleagues and wants to like be an outreach person for pregnancy women Mm -hmm. in the workplace. And I just kind of went, but wait, what? I'm not even sure what we're doing with this exactly. What is that? What does that mean? You're like, it's really hard. It's like, yes, and? Right. It was very much a, a kind of like a sum up of like a bunch of points that they'd been making throughout the episode and like a capstone idea for the episode. But it didn't advance the character in any way or advance what the character, what Bo had been talking about in any way, shape or form. It just kind of amorphously reiterated some stuff. And I just I, I don't know quite what they were aiming for with any of that, honestly. Like it was a mm-hmm. good idea to bring up and because like they address like women who want to get pregnant need to have maternity leave. But in a lot of cases, taking it is not a great idea professionally because your job is legally required to be there in a lot of cases, but eh. (laughs) and in this case, it was like maybe a deciding factor in which that she wasn't getting that job, even though the implication was that it didn't have anything to do with that. Mm hmm. So, yeah, who knows? I, I did really enjoy the reveal that Holiday Hannah's name is Joanne. <laughs> yes, that was very funny. That was very good. Um, any other uh, highlights uh, or lowlights of the episode for you? Well, what did you think about Dre wanting to take paternity leave? Like, I think that's a really interesting concept, as especially within the United States, where paternity leave is significantly less common than it is in some other countries. And just as valuable as like Dre comes to realize, but the contextualization of it just lacks anything in terms of like, it's very weird that they don't take this opportunity to really dig in a little bit to issues of like black fatherhood mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And which it felt like very much like it is something that would have happened. But since that they wanted to also give Bo a lot of space, they decided not to do that. And it ended up like both of them didn't work to balance out in any way, shape or form because they couldn't give either one the room that was really necessary. I think. Yeah. I liked the discussion of it and I, and it would have been nice to have some 
mention of you know I, like i totally buy that his job is the job that way like because they he makes enough money and you know obviously Bo is, is an anesthesiologist that's a very highly paid job too yes um but they must make a lot of money to live in that house um so it, i totally buy that his job would have paternity leave um yeah. but it would have been nice to have more of a discussion of like yeah we have it but nobody ever takes it like we, we yeah. threw that in your package we didn't actually expect you to take it um or um you know or 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 him like or even just a more of a discussion with him and Bo about it, you know. Yeah. Like you're why would you take vacation or like or like our discussion of like do you take time off? Do you, does, do you take it as paternity leave? Do you take it as like just more flexible sort of flexibility with sick days or is family like it, I it, I absolutely agree that, that they could have really gotten into that a lot more. And I like that they were, were giving both space in this episode, but maybe they needed like a two-parter or something. I don't know. Yeah. They really wanted to dive in with this. Because um, I think that taking time away from the Ruby stuff, like they needed a different, like a like a palate cleanser, different topic subplot. Um, yeah. So I, I think giving that time like from the subplot wouldn't have necessarily worked. But um, yeah, it just is a bit of a misfire, I thought. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree, though. I, I kind of just, I could have just done without the palate cleanser and just have the entire episode mm-hmm. organized around this idea. And even, like, factor in, like, how the kids feel about both of them staying home. Yeah. And this idea of, well, if they're going to stay home, can we stay home? Mm-hmm. And I feel like that, that would have been a really easy way to handle that. And then also just this idea of even, like... Like, Ruby finding out that Dre wanted, was going to stay home, I felt like should have been, like, an idea, a concept of, like, well, there's no reason for you to stay home. I'll be here. Yeah. There's, type of thing. again, so many other conversations to have. Right. It's like, yeah. we pay for a nanny. Right. But then, you know, like, yeah, there's a lot of different conversations. Like, that's more of a, it should be more of, maybe it should have been more of an evolving conversation over, like, several episodes scenes, yeah. or, see, certainly se- several scenes. That's That's interesting. Yeah. Huh, I hadn't even thought about that, but you're right. That's a good, that's a very salient point. <laughs> I'm yes. here for your writer room toss off idea shows. I, I don't <laughs> write anything, but I'm I'm really good at bouncing ideas off of. There you go. Um, <laughs> how did you feel about the balance of Fresh Off the Boat this week? We had the flush. We had the of course the stuff with Eddie and Lewis, and then we had the road trip in the other part of the episode. Uh, did like I really keyed into the stuff with with uh the beer and the you know the guys weekend and everything and the 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 stuff with the the road trip was okay but uh for me it was all about the stuff we were getting with eddie and 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 his dad how how did you feel about those two they're very separate they are very separate and i think i i i really agree with you in part because i feel like lewis and eddie just don't spend a lot of time Mm -hmm. plot wise like together like by themselves doing things Whereas I feel like Evan, Emery, and Jessica like get, have gotten plenty of time together. And also in part because a lot of the... As much as they had constructed like this kind of road trip plan to like get to the giant peanut mm-hmm. and everything to get this chair, just some of the jokes didn't necessarily land. Like, that was a really weak Jodie Foster impression. Yeah, <laughs> they built that up and then it was like... It, it, well, And I know that that was the joke. They're right. like, man, but still, like... Right. It was, it was, it was, it, it was even weak as like a joke land type of thing. It was mm-hmm. just like, oh, it's, it's not, it's like, it was too middling really was what it was. It was just like, 
maybe if you worked on it a little bit longer, it would have been there, but it's not bad enough, but it's not yeah. good enough either. So well, it, especially it like the... as like a follow-up to their Halloween costume, too. Right, like, exactly. I think that they would have had... Anyways. Right, so... That led me to keying in a lot, a lot of Eddie and Lewis like bonding together, which I really, really enjoyed. I liked the flashbacks to how Lewis handled drinking around in in college and with mm-hmm. his friends, and the different ways that he navigated that. I thought it was really, really funny, including like the flashback to the like the Asian bar and everyone being totally okay with whatever horrible thing was happening to them. <laughs> the cameos <laughs> for that were just. Yes. Like, wonderful. It was so great. Yeah. Uh, so, no, I, I really keyed into it, and I really liked how well they were bonding into it. Um, yeah, no, it was, it, was a, it was a good all-around episode, and I liked how they got the other guys out so that they could have that moment, and it worked mm-hmm. really, really well. Yeah. Um, how about uh, Speechless, uh, D.I. Ding, and the... We, yes, the, the main conflict was, you know, obviously with Maya, and, like, did she ding the car, and that tension that we get. That's a recurring tension, and they've brought up very nicely throughout the season uh, of believing versus not believing Maya. But for me, this was all about J.J. stalking and harassing that jerk with his chair. I was so here for that. <laughs> it was so good. It was so good. And I, I don't know why that guy thought that he could make a scene and not get in trouble for it <laughs> and not get eyeballs for it. Uh, no, I really enjoyed those. But mostly I was really here for Kenneth just like slowly melting down mm-hmm. over just them finding out and being concerned. Like, I feel like in a lot of ways, even though this was like a way for him to make ends meet so we could keep working with JJ, which I really loved. I thought that was great. Mm-hmm. But I also just like, this had to be like a haven of sorts yeah. to get away from the DeMeos for two days. Yeah. And also so that they wouldn't come immediately asking him for discounts on the day old bread. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and, and of course that's the first. Yeah, that was was very, very well handled. Um, I, I had trouble buying it. Sure, you know, like it was a bit of a stretch for me. But um, like, haven't we seen him on the weekend at their place before? I think so. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it feels like maybe maybe it's supposed to be like a more recent thing, but you know, I, it was a really sweet moment and it did play very very well. Um, but yeah, that was still like a bit of the. You know, con- con- convenience fairy there. Uh, like, look, don't look, you know, pay no attention to that plot hole behind the corner, behind the curtain, you know. Right. Um, but I did also really like, uh, to mention the last subplot, the um, the stuff with, uh, you know, like looking for getting the soda and the, the teens. No, no, I'm <laughs> saying it. That all worked really well. And um, then having, the again, the surprise ally with Maya and the other mom. Uh, oh, was also, that was so great. It's also pretty fun. Yeah. I'm going to go tell my daughter she's not as bad as I keep telling her she is. <laughs> So, so, uh, so for you, any any other standout moments for you, or or, or gags that really landed? Um, let's see. Uh, I, I I did like like the little bit of physical comedy of them climbing out of the milk freezer, like through the bottom rack. I thought mm-hmm. it was just really funny and a funny way out that I had anticipated. I thought that was really, really good. Mm-hmm. But just overall, I really, really liked this episode. Like my jaw hurt a little bit because I was laughing a lot during this episode. Yeah. So I, I really enjoyed it. They are really having a terrific first season. It does not they feel are. like a first season show. No, no. And I mean, we've discussed this like even like 
after like seven, six, seven episodes into the first season that it didn't feel like a first season. And they're continuing just to find really good ways to keep this the DeMeo family dynamic chugging along in fresh environments, I think is really key. Like I wouldn't have anticipated them going to a grocery store mm-hmm. and then f- managing to find this much to do, really. And yeah. all of it be pretty consistent. They've built up a lot of mythology with uh, or a lot of world building in their first season already. And yeah. it's part of why it works so well is that the characters are so distinct. And like we really feel like we know them. Obviously, it's towards the end of the first season. But, but we've had enough time with them that it's like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what Ray would do. That's exactly what JJ would do. Like. You, you really feel like you get to understand them. And, and they've already started playing up their dynamics. They haven't found, like, one dynamic that they stick to overwhelmingly, I, I think. Yeah. And that's that's been smart for, for making sure we get to see all these different sides and facets of the characters. So, uh, yeah, yeah. There was, this was a particularly fun one. Uh, but more Also fun for me, not fun for a lot of my Twitter feed, was this week's Rachel Maddow show, show about some Trump tax returns? Now, did you do you watch the Rachel Maddow show at all ever? Uh, I, I've I've I don't watch it like consistently, but I watch it. I've watched it enough to expect exactly what happened yeah. and be like, well, well. First, before we get into that, let me talk to you about my thirty-year experience watching television, and let me lay this case for you really out. Okay. <laughs> No, so no, like I, I was watching my Twitter feed get really anxious about her bearing the lead about these tax returns, and I just went, "Yeah, you guys, you guys really haven't watched Maddow ever, have you? Because this, like, this is how this works." Yeah, her <laughs> context is like her thing. That's like, yeah, monologues are her thing, and she made sure in her contract she got to, to control how long her different segments would be. That's a rare thing. Um, because no, that's how important it is to her to be able to do a 20-minute segment if she feels like it deserves 20 minutes. Um, so, and also this idea that she would have some silver bullet, some, like, earth-shaking thing. If they had earth-shaking silver bullet information, they would have cut in live. They yeah. would not have waited to get scooped by other sites. So, Or that, by the White House itself. Yeah, I mean, like, that's that's ridiculous. So I just think, and, and, and this um, criticism that... I've seen lobbed at Maddow and the show, I think is ridiculous because they didn't hype it up in that way. MSNBC did other, some other hosts on MSNBC did, but she really didn't. She tweeted, we've got tax returns guys. And then like before the show even aired, she said, we have two pages of one year's tax returns. Like, so it's almost like they were trying to dehype it a little bit before it even went out there. Um, and I, I just find, um, it really is frustrating to me as someone who appreciates appreciates Rachel Maddow, but more than that, appreciates thoughtful journalism. Like This is the kind of reporting I want to see. Contextualized, thorough, full of questions, uh, and not presenting a complicated or a complex situation as if it should be reduced down to a bullet point. Um, like that, That's the kind of reporting I want. I don't want 140 character journalism. And I feel like the rush for that kind of journalism is part of what got us in the situation we're in now. Right. Right. So to see people like whining about not having salacious details just gets me more frustrated and more like 
just reminds me how we have not really changed at all. We have not learned from the way the press handled Trump in the in the election, in the campaign um, at all, because people still want the same thing. Yeah, that I think is really the key thing that um, I took away from a lot of this is that the contextualization is really key because if you don't have the patience to like basically sort through this very elaborate Carrie Matheson esque mm-hmm. board of stuff that's been color coded to connect everything, that you you may not necessarily understand what's happening or why any of it's happening mm-hmm. and why it's why it's important. And I, I think that that, like you said, is really key to understanding a how matter works, but a, b how it's really important to look at the Trump administration and particularly his finances that have just been clouded mm-hmm. and not even clouded, just completely obscured and how we need to be able to understand possible connections, but also like actual clear connections. Mm-hmm. And that that's what was really key and a clear sign of people being frustrated was just like, guys, this is exactly how this works. Yeah. And every other journalist is just like, she did a lot of homework for you right here. Yeah. You just have to do this. And I mean, I wasn't like particularly hyped up about it because it was just like they announced that it was from the 05 tax return. So I was just like, well, those are 10 years old. There's Mm -hmm. going to not be a lot in there and it's two pages. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be even less. And so I was just like, well, it'll be interesting maybe, but it's not going to be like a silver bullet, like you said, or anything along those lines, because unless, unless it's like something from within like this decade, I feel like there's not going to be a whole lot to discover really. Well, and like there are plenty of raises, plenty of questions, a multi-billionaire making a hundred million in a year, 150 million, whatever it was. That's not a lot for that. Yeah. Um, but the people reducing, like, it was like you had, to, she made you sit through 20 minutes of context. And then your reaction is, so wait, he made a bunch of money and paid, paid a bunch of taxes. Oh man. It's like, you, you really didn't listen to that first 20 minutes at all. Did you like not even a little bit because they were talking about how the, the whole point of that lead in was to hopefully get people to understand that it's important to release taxes and that we know dollar amounts. We don't know where the money came from and he wouldn't be paying taxes at all. If it weren't for this one tax that he wants to get rid of and well, comparatively he still had 5 million in taxes, but you know, anyways, but like, it's like she made you sit and listen to the homework and you just chose to not listen. (laughs) You just chose to like wait for the Chiron on the bottom to say something salacious so that you could like, tweet about it or something it was just yeah it was it was disheartening yeah i mean i recorded and had to watch it and but i knew what was happening i knew what had happened already like yeah from watching stuff and then i just went back and watched it and was just like yeah okay this this is how her show works and this is how she works i mean she's she's very academic Mm mm-hmm and it's just like, I've got a 30-point plan to explain this to you, and I'm going to explain all 30 points to you. And mm-hmm. that's how she works. And I, it's it was funny also just watching the dragging that she took, like, in Late Night. Like, Colbert did a whole, yeah like, three-minute segment about having a joke. Yeah. 
and being doing a whole thing about the joke and then like Myers also dragged her for a little bit as well for bearing and the lead and just taking forever to get to stuff and it, it just felt very weird that we we're dragging a journalist for providing a great deal of context about something and then going but you didn't give us anything good after all of that mm-hmm. you gave us vegetables but we didn't get dessert <laughs> yeah i was like i thought that colbert's like as as a general um like parody of her style yeah. i thought that worked really well in the yes. context of people complaining that she had the temerity to do her job as a journalist i thought i was like really okay i guess why not i mean i'm not laughing but yeah that is an accurate you know parody or like you know if you're gonna be rachel maddow if you're gonna do like a you know an impression that is a good impression yeah i'm just not laughing but maybe i just don't have a sense of humor about things i'm defensive <laughs> about i think that's that there are plenty of us that fall into that um into that uh camp more than we would maybe like to admit um let's move on though because uh i don't have much to say about it but you watched like the entire fourth series of the great british bake-off this week because it became available on netflix and uh okay favorite baker did the right baker win and uh favorite bake of the season go okay so i don't know if the right baker won because francis wins this season and Mm -hmm. As much as I really loved Francis' creativity, and one of the things that I kind of responded to and I tweeted to you about and also um, Isandra mm-hmm. about on Twitter was the fact that none of the showstoppers actually stopped the show for the most part. Yeah. Which was really weird to me after having seen series five and six where the showstoppers were just really intense. Mm-hmm. And these were just like, oh, we made these and we put them in a basket. And I just went, but no one's... But you didn't do anything. But you didn't, and- like make the basket right but... you didn't make the basket <laughs> that's that's just a basket you bought with you yeah um so so francis always had these really creative things but her flavors were consistently just not there mm-hmm. so i was i was always really frustrated that i was a little bit frustrated that kimberly just didn't win because she mm-hmm. i felt like was the most consistent yeah but they also both just won star baker once ruby won it three times <laughs> and I really like Ruby, but I'm also, I was very much like, Ruby, I'm wondering how much of you is just underselling all of this and then the judges being surprised. It's a really good strategy and it's working. I see Uh you, but I I don't know. And also you don't give any good B-roll. Even Becca was just like, I jog. And you're just like sitting there on the carpet reading the entire time. (laughs) But can you imagine being on Great British Bake Off during finals? No, I, I don't even want to. That that, that woman is in, <laughs> and a philosophy final. Yeah, I can't even imagine what she was having to do and pulling it out each week, mm-hmm. um, very consistently. Um, so I think my favorite baker, I think overall would probably have been Kimberly with Becca, mm-hmm. like a really close second personality wise. Becca was lovely. I really loved her. Mm-hmm. Um, favorite bake though, I I really did enjoy. Um, Francis's like carrot cake, like actual basket of vegetable things. I thought yeah, yeah. it was really cool and just really interesting. And it was more along the lines of the type of showstoppers I I expected from the show, having seen the the two seasons that come after this. Yeah, before seeing this one, and like I'm used to like bread lions and. <laughs> 
Wookiee trains and that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. so I was really pleased to see something really creative. And I feel like, and having not seen the other three seasons that preceded this, you can tell me if like Francis marked like a turning point within the showstopper kind of mentality or that that they just the producers told everyone to start mimicking Francis in some ways. Well, I think that because um, I watched it in, in order, I've okay. seen all of it and I've seen it in order. And I think it's just like a lot of reality shows. Like mm-hmm. if you watch um, maybe Top Chef is an is a exception to this, but often like certainly if you watch the early seasons of RuPaul's Drag Race and like they're figuring out what works best on TV and they're, mm-hmm. they're the when they first start out, people haven't heard of the show. They haven't watched the show. It's like with the amazing race, the, like the earlier seasons, people haven't had a chance to like, they don't, they don't know what the right move is to make. When you get to the later seasons, they're like, never do this. Always do that. Always double check on the, th- cause they have the experience of watching other people deal with the same problems. And, and so I think on, as the show has gone on, the bar just keeps raising because people watch the other seasons and they're like, okay, well, that's what a showstopper has to be. So right. I better do that and even more. Um, so I think they've also, my guess would be that the the producers have structured it in a way that they allow for success with the showstoppers. They like they, the things they know what'll look good on TV and they know the conditions that the, that the bakers require to be able to do that, you know, as far as time goes and the certain limitation like you don't get <laughs> a showstopper challenge where you're not allowed to use gluten you know or you're not allowed to use sugar right. in the last couple of weeks because it's not going to be as impressive visually um so so I, th- I think it's some of that is just the natural growth of a show as they work out the kinks and as sure as as the 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 bar just keeps raising with the the challenges and with the um the quality of the of people who are willing to set time aside to do the show Right. No, that makes sense. And yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I was just surprised by how low-key a lot of those uh, bakes were. But the technicals were also really kind of crazy this in this season, too. Mm-hmm. Just that ridiculous thing with the Swiss rolls and the, <laughs> casino, Ro- the casino Royale. Is that what it's called? I no. It's been too long. You'd have to remind me. Yeah. Um, hang on. It's not the Casino Royale because that's a Bond novel. No, come on. Yeah. Um, let's see, let's see. Technical, no, no. Hang on. The Charlotte Royale, there it is. Ah. The thing that looks like brains, basically. (laughs) Was just really disgusting. (laughs) Uh, But then they also had to make, what was the other one that I was really surprised was the technical that they all struggled with, though, too, was making an English muffin. Yeah was really cool because they all really I, I always like the bread technicals I think the best because sometimes it's just like make an English muffin make ciabatta and yeah. it's just like these are surprisingly hard things to do like everybody and, just buys them you know right no yeah. everyone buys English muffins uh but mm-hmm. I, I I really enjoy I think I I but bread's always my favorite week I think mm-hmm. just because I really I, I I like bread yeah um just personally but i think the challenges for bread are also just really kind of there's so many different ways to do it and then the technicals that paul comes up with for them are always just so bizarre but also bizarre in so far as they're really complicated and difficult to do even though you know exactly what they're supposed to be yeah 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 (laughs) which is difficult from like mary's challenges where everyone goes 
I have never heard of this before. Where did she pull this from? And how do I make it? Good times. Good yeah. times. And the bread challenges, like the, the technicals and everything, they always look like they're delicious. They're super delicious. Yes. And some of the other ones, uh, as someone who's made a chic torta, mm-hmm. it doesn't taste that great. Yeah. Like, it looked pretty. I had all 20 layers, but I was like, eh. It is not worth the effort. It is not worth <laughs> that takes. And it seems like for the bread ones, it would be worth the effort most of the time. Yeah. Um, do we want to spare any thoughts for, for Paul Hollywood and his new writing leathers? Or, or that, they... that photo's a little old, I think. Um, yeah, I I, yeah. 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 But... but still. Still. <laughs> uh, or they, they announced who the new hosts are going to be, and I don't care. I'm still oh, not did watching. they? I didn't see that. Who, yeah. Yeah. Who did they... I don't even remember. Uh, I was like, okay, okay. you aren't Richard Iwate, so and you're you're not you're not Mel and Sue. So even if it had been Iwate, I probably still wouldn't have watched. And that's saying a lot because I really enjoy enjoy him. But um, yeah, do you think anyone really is going to watch? I can't imagine that anyone will probably watch it. But I mean, I don't think that there's a reason to without the three of them. At least three of them. And I mean, I like Paul as a presence and everything. But he needs to be balanced out by a lot of different kinds of energy. Yeah. Pro- yeah. That's very well provided by Mary Berry and Melon Sue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, listeners, let us know if you have strong thoughts on Great British Bake Off uh, and, and what is yet to come. But for now, what wins your week in comedy and reality? Uh, I'll two for it uh, this week for uh, Fresh Off the Boat and Speechless. I think both had just really, really funny episodes this week. And I enjoyed them both immensely. What about you? I want to throw a little love to uh, Bob's Burgers. Uh, really enjoyed their trip to to the the candy factory. Um, but I mean, it's review. It's got to be review. I mean, I'm so glad it's back. It's delightful. So five stars. Five stars. Five stars <laughs> for review. Now we'll take a break and come back with our weekend genre. It's a new dawn, it's a new day, it's a new life for me, yeah, it's a new dawn, it's a new day, it's a new life for me, and I'm feeling good. This week in genre, we're going to talk a bit about Samurai Jack's uh, season five premiere, uh, 42. Then we'll talk Iron Fist. Then we'll talk Steven Universe, Room for Ruby, The Flash, Into the Speed Force. And we'll round things out with Legion chapter six. So Samurai Jack is back. And uh, while I do not have quite the level of uh, enthusiasm and affinity for Samurai Jack, that a lot of other people do, meaning I just really, really like it. It's not like mm-hmm. one of my favorite things ever. Um, I got to say this premiere was terrific. It was like gorgeous and some yes. really great character stuff and uh, very exciting um, psychological situations going on. And, and and the time skip and everything lets them have this whole thing with the seven. And yeah, I, I, there's they just... They, they, I think they knocked it out of the park. What do you, how how did you feel about this premiere? 
Well, I'm I, I'm someone who Samurai Jack's like one of my favorite shows. Mm-hmm. Um, like I own all four of the previous seasons on DVD. I used to watch them a whole lot, like just random episodes over and over again, just from uh, animation perspective and then just general action stuff as well. And it's just it's such a good show with so much like genre fun. So I was really hyped up about this and it really did not disappoint me. Um, like you said, the episode's just gorgeous. It's just really beautiful um, in terms of like a lot of the color matching that they're doing, uh, a lot of the lighting that they're doing. It's just they put some time into this and it really shows. And I really loved that. But the psychology stuff that you mentioned is, I think, the reason why this episode works as well as it does. Because of that 50 years time jump and the loss of the sword, which is also really, really pivotal. And that, so Jack's using guns, he's using his motorcycle, um, <laughs> and everything else. And it's and all sorts of, like, other technology, whereas previously he doesn't do any of that. It's just, it speaks to how just really worn down he's gotten in the future. Mm-hmm. And how the his inability to return back to the past is just, like, kind of broken him in a lot of ways and it just it worked really well and i liked the whole um scaramouche robot was mm-hmm. a really nice contrast in a lot of ways to even like this much more dour and serious jack i feel like scaramouche would have been fun in like the previous iteration of the show and it, but it wouldn't have felt as just such a pop if jack hadn't yay hadn't gotten all, all that psychological stuff at the river with his parents and everything but also just all this other introduction to him being pretty tortured and also not necessarily wanting to get involved in whatever was happening. And so I just, it was really, really good. It was also just a little bit weird because I'm not used to subplots mm-hmm. in Samurai Jack episodes. Yeah. So cutting to the daughters of a coup, I was like trying to find rhythms again. Yeah. But I'm really intrigued to see how they factor into this uh final 10 season yeah um a list of things i would have anticipated from a samurai jack uh premiere um evil robot sammy davis jr was not one of them not one of them (laughs) no so like it was such a direct one for one too uh that that i was surprised but uh but no i thought it was i thought it was a lot of fun and yeah, like you're saying, because of exactly where Jack is at, that contrast really worked, um, and the, the the more comedic energy was very effective. So, uh, any other thoughts on Samurai Jack, or shall we drag our feet over to Iron Fist? Yeah, let's 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 drag our fist to Iron, drag our fist. Let's drag our feet to Iron Fist. Um, it's so bad. It's it's aggressively bland and boring, even when you don't factor in the whole. I'm going to listen to a white chosen guy explain martial arts to this Chinese late, not Chinese, but this Asian woman who is teaching. Who has her own dojo. And it's just like, oh gosh, no, but I'm going to watch this apparently. Like I'm not going uh, to finish, but I watched the scene and just went, oh no. (laughs) Yeah. I watched three. You watched four. I watched four. And like, I, if I hadn't been waiting for my laundry to finish, I really don't think I would have gotten through more than one. Um, but it's like every choice they make is there just to piss me off more. 
<laughs> I'm sure that that's very much I, that's what their number one concern was. But w- what I mean is the the number one descriptor of this character and this whole show for me is privilege. The whole thing just stinks of privilege. The the sh- as a show, well, we get to exist because the other ones existed, and you like those, so therefore we can do whatever we want, and you're going to watch it because it's leading into Defenders. So we don't have to be good is sort of when I was watching it, like that's the overall sense I got. Like we don't have to justify any of our characters. We don't have to make sure that the writing's good. We don't have to make sure we cast good actors because dear sweet baby Jesus, I don't like to say mean things about actors because you don't know how much is, is writing, how much is performance, how much is editing, how much is like, there's so many different things that need to come together for good performance. But Finn Jones is just bad. He's just bad as Danny. Like, I miscast and doesn't work. Like, that character, the charisma of that character is absolutely essential. And he just comes off as this entitled prick. This entitled, like, he shows up and he's like stalking some people in their house um, or at the, at work. And, and, like, and then he, at her house. And then at her house. And, and then says, but, this like you need to leave is like but i don't but i don't want to and he's like absolutely confused why he doesn't just get whatever he wants it's like but but i'm me and i don't want to leave and i you're in my house even though i haven't been here for 15 years like there's so little sense of awareness and like they're trying to hint at like all this like rage underneath it never comes through and instead what you get is this guy walking around like well just give me your company well, just, you know, like, as, uh, believe that I am who I am, or let me stay at your dojo. I'm going to beat up your students, and I'm going to, like, like, Colleen is introduced as a badass fighter, right? But she's introduced as a badass of a fighter enough that we're like, okay, we're super on board with her, and then the, they have a fight scene with her and Danny so that she can look like an idiot. He easily defeats her, and the whole point is to make him look even better. Like, who does this? Who, who looked at this writing and was like, this is acceptable. This is a good way to tell a story. This is a good introduction to this. Like, there's no reason for any of this to exist other than they can and so they will. No, you're absolutely correct. And, like, since I watched the fourth episode, like, is apparently where most of the action kicks off. The first three episodes are just prologue. Yeah, you don't get fun... three episodes. <laughs> Come on. You don't get you one. Don't get... <laughs> so, but... A lot of it just I, I didn't know why Danny wanted his company back as a as a po- as a part apart from because he wanted it back because show yeah no. is basically what it is name is, and fa- right. father right is what it is like that's what it boils down to is like this belonged to me I was in a mystical monastery for fifteen years but but I'm back now and I I would kindly like this back. And, but he doesn't have a reason for wanting it back really beyond, well, it was really important to me and my dad. And I get that, but, he, he, but his dad died theoretically for what we've seen so far when he was 12. Yeah. So I, what, if his yeah. dad was any kind of an involved father, like when he's 12, I don't think he has this like strong sense of what his father wants for his whole rest of his life. Right. And, like, are you kidding me? And, and why would he think he would be in any position to run a company if he spent 15 years 
just training in Kunlun to be a warrior. Like, it's like, I'm a warrior, but also a warrior in the boardroom. You know, like, what? And he is, Kate, because in the fourth episode, oh he, he stands, he sits in on a pharmaceutical pricing meeting and goes, he uses his 51% of the board control to go, no, we're going to sell this drug at cost. And they end up selling the drug at cost. And, of course, Ward and uh, Faramir. Um, yeah, David Wenham. <laughs> yes, thank you. I just know him as Faramir. <laughs> um, both very upset about this. And they leak it to the press. And, of course, the press is just like, look at this, an ethical businessman who cares about the little guy. Mm-hmm. But Danny's very much like um, to Hogarth. Um, is just like, so what do I do now exactly? And... It was just like, oh my god, you don't know, you wanted this back, but you don't know what you were going to do with it and why. And there's a fish out of water story that you're trying to tell, but it's not interesting. And Jones is like alternates between being angry, being childlike, and being just kind of neutral. And it's just, it's a very weird performance, and I can't figure out what's happening. And yeah, it's. It's not good, and yeah, he's I'm not super watching spoiled. anymore. He's so yeah. he's just he's used to obviously used to getting his own way is what we're shown, Ex- except for the fact that like he talks about like his time in the monastery a little bit in the fourth episode, and it's basically well, I was told I couldn't do this thing, so I decided I was going to do it even more. Yeah, but it's like like the way that the way that he interacts with Colleen is really frustrating to me. It's like the yeah. issues I have with Monel, but like times a million where sure. where she sets up clear boundaries and then he ignores that and and you know breaks and any like his word with her about that. And then he's like, "But please, come on. But please, Look at isn't, me. It, I'm isn't cute. it so charming when I just betray your trust and, and break like, your door and break your door and ignore what you've said is important to you but i'm gonna just bat my eyelashes and we're supposed to think it's cute like can you think of a character like a male male dynamic where that happens you could argue a little bit with with matt and foggy but that's mm-hmm. because they have established a really close connection with those two right and that ends up breaking as well as the thing. yeah because of that that you know uh lack of respect and that that yeah. uh lack of like awareness of the other so like it's just we're supposed to just watch these all these female characters on the show the ones that i've seen so far are there there's just... only two it's okay you're right there's well misty knight shows up eventually so does claire but um, they're there to to just stand between the boys and go. Well, let's all keep our heads. Let's be reasonable. And Joy does that a bunch with with Danny and her brother too. Where it's like it's just this this stupid pissing contest between these guys, and there's no reason. There's no thought given to what logically makes sense for anybody else in the scene to be thinking and feeling. It's all defined around. What they want, where they want the story to go, and not on what makes sense, and where, where what Danny's journeys to be like, and then then he's like interacting with the homeless guy, and he's talking about, oh, people probably think I'm like you, they they think we're the same. It's like, are you seriously insulting the homeless guy right now? You're Who supposed offered to, be... to Google things for you. Yeah, you're like, oh, people think I'm like you, like like he seriously is like the only person who's actually been decent and kind and talking to him right and he's like oh i understand now 
everybody's interacting like me because they think I'm as worthless as you are. And it's supposed to be like a thoughtful thing. It's not supposed to be, it's not coded as very egotistical and cruel and, and, uh, and, and just horrible. They introduce this guy as basically clean with a hipster beard and fashion walking barefoot through New York. And we're supposed to think that what he's interesting and fun and cool. It's like, also, no, he's never had any exposure to homeless people before. I mean, come on. But, but like, it's like when, when we finally have close-ups on him, he looks kind of dirty and everything. But before then he just looks like, I don't know, New York homeless, like, like, like the, uh, shoe, shoeless, like Jesus, whatever, walking through, like, it's it's ridiculous and absurd, and everybody should be like he should reek to high heaven. He's covered they in may, dirt. They do a joke about him needing a shower in like episode three. Which yeah, I promptly went, but he hasn't showered yet. He hasn't showered. We've we've seen like several days worth of things. Like literally, people in the background should be like holding their noses because he should yeah. reek. Uh, I just had it's like the least charismatic, least likable. Um, character introduction i've seen in a long time and i went in with very low expectations and it was much worse than i I feel like people who are just saying it's it's bad are underselling how noxious i found this character and how underwhelming all the fight scenes were to go with that yeah they feel slow yeah they do feel slow and the fourth episode has a hallway fight because it's a marvel show and you have to have a hallway fight Mm -hmm. and it's it's again slow and not particularly well staged or interesting in a lot of ways. I mm-hmm. mean, it's really difficult after Daredevil did like two of them basically now yeah. and found really interesting ways to use the use the set in compelling ways. And this one's just very direct. Oh, there are hatchets now. But no, there were there were weapons in the other ones. So there's nothing here yet. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just, it's not very interesting. It's not exciting in any way, shape, or form. It's wildly insensitive. And this idea that, well, it, it needed to be Rand for this to work. And I just kind of go, well, first of all, there have been at least 60 other mythology Iron Fists. Yeah. Pick one of the other ones. Yeah. And let's go with that one. <laughs> yeah. You didn't need to, you didn't necessarily need to do Danny Rand. And and, uh, and Danny Rand didn't need to be white. I don't care that he's white in the comics. He didn't right. need to be white here. Right. If Hemdall in Thor can be Idris Elba, there's yeah. no you didn't you didn't need to do anything else. That's your justification right there. Is that eh, Idris Elba is a Greek god? No, I'm not a Greek god. A Norse god. I'm set. Yeah. I don't need any other justification. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. No? This is like like they they have joy go from like sobbing over in relief that Danny's alive to saying, I'm not your sister in like the course of one episode with no explanation given for why all of a sudden she's so antagonistic towards him at all. It's just like, it's lazy, unfortunate writing. And and I don't like saying lazy writing because we're sure the people who wrote it worked very hard. But the when you look at the different Marvel shows, Daredevil came out of the gate. They had uh, some very very good writers they were very talented showrunners with drew goddard and steven denight um and they were setting a template second season not as strong but the first season i think 
uh, most people agree is pretty pretty solid. Then you look at Jessica Jones and you look at Luke Cage, and those are two shows with distinct points of view, distinct ideologies, interested in exploring their characters, but also their worlds and having a, something that they want to discuss, an issue that they want to center around and really engage with. And where Luke Cage starts to falter is when it abandons that to go just more broad and comic booky. Then you get to this, and there is no thesis statement at all. And after we've seen these other ones, you have to you 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 can't get away with that. <laughs> Iron Fist. It doesn't. No one's gonna buy what you're selling if if we've seen such more interesting, thoughtful, engaged work from especially Jessica Jones and Luke Cage. Right, and I think, well, I'm less generous about Daredevil than a lot of people are, um, in part just because I feel like it, Daredevil itself lacks a thesis statement in a lot of instances. Mm-hmm. And I think Iron Fist is sort of the result of a really bad concept of Daredevil in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. in terms of its structure. And even in terms of the fact that the hand is the bad guy. Oh, no, oh, save me from so the hand. The stupid. Yeah, the worst part of Daredevil season two. I don't like the hand in the comic books. And I, I, I don't like the hand here. Mm-hmm. Um, so this, that was, uh, was going to be troubling anyway. But this, it, there's no perspective. And I feel like Daredevil has sort of a perspective with the Catholic stuff. Mm-hmm. But even that's not interrogated in a way that really works um, in an a way that makes sense for me that says anything really potent and iron fist just lacks even that there's nothing here necessarily to drive anything forward. And even from its sense of place, which has defined the three previous shows, it's just like, Oh, look at all these really rich apartments. And it's just like, Oh no, no, let's, let's, let's go back. Can I go back to hell's kitchen and Harlem? Pretty please. (laughs) Pretty please. And discuss, like, concepts of community and sense of place and that kind of thing, which is really important to all three of these shows. And it's just, oh, we're in we're in Manhattan. Oh. And he's okay. just, like, he's such, the, like, the music that they're trying to use, especially when they are trying to go into, like, the rap and everything. And then you just look at Finn Jones, you're like, yeah. You're that. I'm sure you, I'm sure you listen to it, but. Yeah, like, you were not hearing any of this. Like, it's. Yeah, it's like, yep, that is that works way too well, but not the way you're intending. <laughs> yes. Anyways, um, let's move on. Let's cleanse the palate because, wow, uh, I expected to be underwhelmed or like nonplussed. I did not expect what we got from Iron Fist. Uh, I was much more pleasantly surprised with Steven Universe this week, Room for Ruby, which was a lovely, delightful little episode engaging with Lapis uh, with a magnificent turn at the end, which you could see coming. But still, the performance from that Ruby, she's just Mm -hmm. so evil and I love it. (laughs) But I'm the I'm the nice one. But then I wouldn't have gotten to see your faces when I betrayed you or whatever. Oh, my right. goodness. So creepy. No it's, it's, no, it's really creepy. It's really good. But the Lapis stuff and her refusing to believe in any sense of, like, quick acclimatization to things, I think is just really interesting. And speaks to, like, how, for me in a lot of ways, how much they haven't necessarily dived into what's going on with Lapis as much comparatively as they've done with, like, Peridot. Um, and I think that was really interesting to see that play out and that frustration 
and but also like how being in the presence of Stephen and the other gems is sort of made her aware of that not everyone responds the same way mm-hmm. and that it's important to respect that those kind of feelings but also respect her own personal feelings as well uh but then she also gets to be right in the end so i was really happy about yeah that yeah. um but no it was a really good episode it was a really good performance episode um and yeah it was just it was really really good i was i was i was actually really surprised but i was also really happy because it took the spaceship out of an equation mm-hmm and recenters them back onto Earth, which I'm I'm happy about because yeah. the spaceship's just too much of a temptation to keep jaunting off into space. Yeah. So I, I was really happy that the spaceship was conveniently taken away from them. Yeah, yeah, in a way that makes sense and is like, uh, is resolved. Like like Ruby just showing up is too contrived. Uh, yeah. Uh, and and but then it's given an explanation that that works and that takes away that that element. So you can't say, well, why don't they just use their awesome spaceship to solve the problem? You know, it's good to not have that that option. Um, yeah, it was fun. It was a it was a it was a fun return to quasi serialized change of pace. Like again, I nice focus on Lapis after a while. So it's good. Yeah, and and her mature maturity, like you were saying, of. It's not about Ruby. It's about me. This is not yeah. a her thing. This is a me thing. And yeah, that that awareness is lovely to see. Um, let's move on to the Flash into the Speed Force. This is a show with less oh. awareness. Oh my God! Talk about like oh, talk about. I have to be the one to save Iris. Like, I'm. If they are coming up with any answer other than Iris saves Iris, I'm gonna be so annoyed. Oh, I'm 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 sure you're going to be annoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, but that could almost salvage some of this yeah almost i don't know if it would almost. fully but like i don't think uh... it would fully solve it um but for me a lot of this was just boiled down to the fact that the show keeps making barry be stupid like a, a really dumb person not like intellectually just he's just bad at as a, someone who's like very clearly in touch with his emotions and is someone who doesn't have trouble really expressing his emotions He's really stupid with them still. <laughs> and that's where I was running into this. It was just like, we've, we've gone through the whole, Barry, you need to have confidence in yourself. Barry, you're the one that needs to do this. Barry, you, you, you lied to the Speed Force about being over your mother's stuff, which is why we gave you back your powers. But then you went and did Flashpoint, so you're clearly not mature, but we also need you to fix this. Mm-hmm. And it's just like... Barry, please learn your lesson, but the show won't let him learn lessons because the show needs a conflict outside the big villain. So, th- mm-hmm. and it's just like, oh no, if I have to do another Speed Force episode again next season, in which Barry learns another ver- very valuable lesson that he will forget by the end of the season, I will be very upset. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The it was fun to see the different you know guest stars back, um, mm-hmm. but like Deus Ex J, no, stupid, don't like it. Ugh. And it's a handy way to get rid of John Wesley Ship for a little while, too, because he has to be stuck in that prison until they actually put Savitar back in there in the far future. I roll. Um, What else? The, um, yeah, the stuff with with Iris and Barry about around their engagement is really stupid um, in every possible way. So yeah. so Barry being partially inspired to propose because of the future thing, like, I could see that coming up, but this idea that we're supposed to believe that he doesn't actually want to marry her, 
but he only proposed for that one single reason, even though he's known that theoretically they get married in the future since the beginning of season one. Like, right. as soon as they discovered that room uh, that Eobard Thawne, as Fake Wells had, like, this is not, should not be some foreign, strange concept to Barry. And or to it, her. That was, or to her. And that was like a, a warm, really hopeful thing to Barry. So this idea that he's proposing, yeah, it's rushed. I could buy them saying, yeah, maybe this was a mistake. We should just slow things down. I could accept that. But this idea that he's like, no, we need some space. Let's break up. After she, like, she was pissed that he proposed for, for stupid reasons, which is very valid. And then she's like, okay, you know what? I've processed it. You know, I'm still not happy about it, but, you know, let's let's work it out. And he's like, no, yeah. I need to be alone. Oh, my God. Oh, I need to brood. My God. Because that, that's what this show is good at is brooding. And I think my favorite thing is about the pacing and the structure of all of this is that we've got this all this very serious stuff that happens in this episode. And then next week is the musical. <laughs> well, yeah, but it's going to be it's like alt universe for the whole thing, too, so that. Well, I, kind of, but not really. <laughs> interesting. Okay. Well, I'm very excited about the musical. We'll I certainly think we talk all about are. Next week. Yeah. Yeah. But, but um, yeah. but yeah, everything else is it's just it's just so very 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 stupid, and yeah. it's really irritating. This should have been a lot more fun than it was, and Barry's uh, Barry's lack of respect for iris as an autonomous person as as everyone's lack of respect for iris as an autonomous person yeah like they're all they're all connecting with her just on the way that they're that they are tied to them so like that's my daughter you're going to propose to my daughter without getting my permission like iris should have a problem with that or if she doesn't it should make more sense for her character and then um Wally, I need to save my sister because I can't watch my sister die the way I watch my my mom die, and not you know, it's because it's Iris or like she's I love you you you're amazing because you're the woman that I love, which is like the reason yeah. that he gave the other week Barry gave the other week. It's just absurd, and again, it's just the show. They did such a good job once they got through their Iris problems of actually giving Candace Patton more to do. None of this is on her. And yeah. then they just were like, you know what we haven't done for a while? Problematic Iris stuff. Let's, let's you know, let's, let's, let's circle back around to that. I mean, come on, Flash. It's all they know how to do. Like, I, they <sighs> didn't know what to do with her in season two, really. Mm-hmm. And because they, they gave her a job and then they're just like, well, we'll, we'll set some scenes in the office. Yeah. Uh, but, eh. Mm-hmm. And now it's just like, well, we're going to just... We're going to make her the girlfriend, and then we're going to make her the one that dies. Yeah, this seems like a good plan. Yeah. I like this. Yep. I like this a lot. No. <laughs> yep. Uh, I, I'm glad they're changing things up with Jesse Quick. The Jesse Quick has gone off to be a badass on Earth 3. I like her response to fake flashes being like, okay, peace out. I don't need this. Yep. That yeah. was great. Yeah. Um, and I get enough of that from my dad, guys. <laughs> Yeah, so that that was a good you know way to to keep her out of the picture for a while, and um, yeah, I just uh, I'm really and I'm to really make sure that Wally can be mopey too, do some more moping. Everyone must brood. Yep. Anyways, um, okay, let's move on to Legion. Uh, I was more excited for this one than you were. At least I was more optimistic about it than you were. Right. Uh, I and we ended up not actually getting the one and done like I was anticipating. Looks like this is going to really stretch out to the very end of the season. Um, I liked what we got here. 
Um, but I don't know. It, it it does feel like a little like a placeholder. Um, Aubrey Plaza is terrific. But She's so good. She's so good. We really yeah. do. We need to be watching Carrie scream for help and run through the halls being chased and imperiled. Like, is that a thing we need? No. No, it's not. Um, I, this episode was fine. Um, I think this is by far and away like sort of the best um, representation of like a psychic attack mm-hmm. I've seen like on a television show that isn't people clutching their heads and like falling to their knees type of thing and mm-hmm. just like being wrapped in like this sort of telepathic project astral projection type setting. Um, it's just the mind bendingness of it is really good. And the representation of it is really interesting. And I like how Sid's the one that's aware of what's happening in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, even though David kind of comes around to what's happening towards the end. But a, a lot of it is also just like, I don't care, is like the big thing that's happening. Is like, I don't need Carrie being chased, but I also don't care about anything else that's happening in this whole sequence. And I'm also trying to figure out why the guy with the machine gun's not here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and true. I'm... I'm, I'm, I, I know why he's not, at least in terms of a, well, he's the one firing the gun, so he's the least thing, but he's also the character we don't know anything about, so we're not yeah. going to talk about him. Yeah. Um, and that's why he's not there, even though, again, it doesn't make sense. But all of this is just very much like, it's interesting, it's really well staged, it's really well acted. Again, like, this is Aubrey Plaza's, like, Emmy tape, probably, so far. Mm-hmm. And she's, she's really great in this episode, but it's just like, oh, man, I don't... I, I wish I could care. I really want to care, mm-hmm. but it's just, it's kind of aggressively boring yeah. for me in a lot of ways in a, in a, this should be better. I should be responding to this better, but I'm not. And I'm pretty sure it's me, not you show at mm-hmm. this point, but uh, yeah, mm, I don't think so. I think it's, I think it's them, not us. Uh, Cause I think this should have been paced better than it was. Cause I mm-hmm. was engaging with it. I was connecting to it much more in the previous episodes, even than you were. Um, yeah. And in this one, for me, I was, like, kind of checking my watch a little bit. So, yeah, we'll see what happens in the next one. Like, other people coming. Like, I'm assuming that's Jermaine in at least somewhat in in the things. Um, Right. Well, yeah, no, it has to be him because he's the only one that knows how to navigate things. Except that we did see Carrie in the suit later. So then we don't know when it's Carrie and when it's not. So, like... There's a lot of potential, I think, with that in the next episode, but this mm-hmm. one, I just kept waiting for it to click in or there to be something else that came in that really tied the episode together, and that didn't happen for me. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I had a point. What was it? No, I think that the other thing about this episode is that it was very much about making sure that we knew just how really powerful the yellow-eyed guy was. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the extent that it's just like we get Aubrey Plaza doing a dance number, mm-hmm. um, um, but also just like sh- the character can put five people in this sort of psychic illusion type of thing yeah. and draw it out like co- as long as possible until a bullet hits someone. Um, and just all of that. And I think that's it's a demonstration of just how powerful they are using David as an amplifier, obviously. Mm-hmm. But it's... I, I don't know that I necessarily needed a whole episode of it, either. So. Yeah. What changed in the rights to to make Nina Simone everywhere? Ha! 
right? Like, there's, there was a shift at some point in the last, like, year. Because, I mean, don't get me wrong, Nina Simone's amazing. Very excited. But, like feeling good this we talked about she um she was uh the they used her strange fruit fruit on blackish there've been a yeah. bunch of different ads where she's popped up as well um so she, yeah have you been noticing that yeah i have and i don't have an answer for you yeah <laughs> i mean like more nina simone is a good thing but it just it's been very marked for me anyways yeah. what wins your week in genre mm, i'll give it to the gotta go back back to the past um just from a nostalgia factor um samurai jack's uh, return was just really really great uh what about you normally this week? it would be steven universe but yeah but it was iron fist but <laughs> it was samurai jack the way 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 better long anticipated martial arts centered uh like badass action season premiere of the week mm-hmm. um now we'll take a break and come back with our weekend drama This week in drama, Noel's going to talk a bit about the Greenleaf premiere, A House Divided, because I'm behind. I will catch up, though. Um, then we'll both talk well, a little bit about... Well, um, doesn't make it easy on you. No, they do, they do not. Um, then we'll talk a little bit about the premiere of American Crime, season three, episode one. Um, the conclusion of the two-parter that we got with Kitty on Elementary Fidelity. Um, I have a few thoughts on Feud, the other woman. I'm sure, Noel, you may as well. And then we'll round things out with The Good Fight. Stoppable. Requiem for an air date. So first up, uh, Greenleaf came back this week uh, after a very short hiatus. Uh, was Super short. How did they pick things up? Uh, so Max back as we had um, at the end of the season finale uh, and is just like, yeah, I'm back. You guys can't do anything about it. And we find out a bunch of other stuff um, concerning his particular bit of dirt on uh, the bishop and what happened there. And we also find out why the um, fellow who's running the uh, Triumph Church has been gunning so hard to destroy the bishop in a lot of ways. Uh, We find out why exactly what's going on there in this episode as well. That's encouraging. Uh, which is encouraging because that was like a weird sort of vibe that was happening in season one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is like, this is like, this is the reason. And it's, it's good. It's good. It's a good reason. It works. So I'm, I'm excited to see what happens there. Um, but no, it's just, it was, a re- despite the quick return, which I think was really surprising for us is that, excuse me, is that I was, it felt really good to be back in this world uh, with these characters and with the whole soap plotting the whole uh, 
politics of churches, I think, is still really present and really there um, as like the deacon board and some of the members of the church aren't particularly happy with. Um, uh, hang on uh, with. Uh, ding, 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 ding. Um, Charity's hiring hiring of the um, choir director mm-hmm. and his, her, his husband. Mm-hmm. And the fallout from that is said, but not shown, but is basically not surprising to absolutely anyone. Um, <laughs> except Gigi, who was just like, I thought everyone was fine with it. Mm-hmm. And we just went, oh, Gigi, you sweet, sweet Aww. child. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm excited to see more of what's going to happen this season already. And it, it, I think they're going to ramp up the, I think they're going to ramp up the soap quite a bit. And huh. I'm excited about that. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Um, Well, not really soap, but ramped up, I think we can agree. American Crime had its premiere. They, like, I feel like there's even more characters and even more, like, it's even more sprawling than it it was the first two seasons. Um, I'm a little nervous about that um, because we also know there's a bunch of cast members we haven't even seen yet. So when it's like, okay, here's Felicity Huffman. She gets two scenes. Oh, and her sister's Janelle Maloney. Okay. And. She's going to get more and, 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 and like all these different people. So um, I, I think I love that we get so much with Regina King. Of course, she's always amazing. Um, in this episode, I like that that focus we get with her, I think is, is important given how stretched out everything else feels. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I wasn't blown away by the premiere, but I'm very optimistic about, the, about the season and what it could be based on the the where they look to be going with the story so how how did you feel about this premiere and for me i think the the premiere last year season two was much more gripping because of course remember i didn't like season one so i was like a little uncertain if i would even watch season two but with the all what they like the the trust they they earned for me in season two i'm super on board for season three how did how did you like this premiere and how did it compare to seasons one two for you uh, I really like the premiere. Um, like you said, a lot of it is very much establishing stuff. And I also think it's a lot of it like establishing sort of a slightly toned down aesthetic as well. Um, a lot of the sh- editing and shot selection is noticeably just different uh, enough from seasons one and two. But I really like kind of the sprawl that's happening a little bit, in part because, like, I texted you about this, is that, and I tweeted it, that I really feel like this season's crime is, like, capitalism and exploitation Mm -hmm. and consumption, um, and specifically all centered around, like, the body. Mm -hmm. And in part because of just, like, this idea of migrant farm workers and the physical labor involved in that, but also the, um, I want to, does she have a name? Yeah, um... Shay uh, being a prostitute and mm-hmm. being pimped and that kind of a thing. Also, like, consumption of capitalism and the exploitation, basically, that's built into that system, I think, is really what's at the core of this. And that's why I kind of like the sprawl, is that we're seeing two different ways in which this is playing out in terms of, well, the farm can't keep up with the pricing demands from the markets. And also, can we talk about just Tim Decay is in the season? Yep. Ah, well, and so Cherry good. Jones and, and Cherry like, Jones everywhere you look. Dallas Roberts, Dallas Roberts, this? yeah. Oh. And I, 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 I makes up for the fact that Hutton's only a recurring character this season. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, all of this I think is just I really like. I feel like this could be kind of a bit more ambitious in terms of like scope. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm really excited about that. But I'm also excited that like Connor Jessup from season two is back for this season because he was one of the standout like finds mm-hmm. that season two like bought forward just from an acting standpoint. And he's really good in the couple of scenes that he gets here. And yeah, I, I really I'm really excited to see more. But I, I, I very freely admit how in the tank for this show I've been. <laughs> Um, so I'm like giving it a very long leash, I'm assuming, but just, can we just talk a little bit more about Regina King and how (laughs) awesome she is? Because even like that little Southern lilt that she's working in is like very, very good Mm -hmm. for that region. It's very spot on. And I really like how it sounds. I like how we meet her encountering like a cable company and just the ridiculousness of cable packages <laughs> and <laughs> all of that. It's just, it's really good. It feels already very lived in. And I'm also just really glad that Richard Cabral got away from Lethal Weapon. <laughs> yeah, there, there is that. Uh, I really liked the opening scene we got with uh, Benito Martinez. Uh, that mm-hmm. casting, I think putting him in that role is is so terrific. Um, yeah. Because he's always, to me at least, he always is very, he comes off so smart and so canny and aware and um so when he's in that scene and he's getting screwed over for all his money basically yeah he doesn't have any dialogue really but you know that he knows what's happening um and i I just i really yeah i i look forward to seeing more of him hopefully and and yeah the interconnectedness of all this i think is going to be the highlight of of what they can do what they're and what they seem like they're interested in doing with this Mm -hmm. arc this season so um having having us start with you know with, with Luis uh, Salazar coming across the border but then immediately go to mm, there this wouldn't be you know we're, the the exploitation that we're going to see with the with the pickers wouldn't be happening theoretically if people would just pay for local produce and right. if they were willing to pay what it actually costs to get the things that they want um i, I like that that clear focus on on the the white collar part of this yeah as well yeah. so um yeah it looks like we're set up for another very interesting season of american crime any other actors performances you want to mention no not so far um like we've mentioned everyone that's shown up so far um except for sandra oh we didn't mention sandra o's one one scene. moment i was like that's uh, how- oh that's it oh, okay. that's all we got all right that's mm-hmm. a series wrap on Sa- no it's not a series wrap on sandra <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but hopefully we'll see more from her. Um, I'm sure we will because it's Sandra Oh. You don't hire Sandra Oh to do one scene in your pilot. No, nope, you don't. Um, so no, I'm really I'm and if any, even if the story just doesn't work, I think the one of the big things that I really enjoy about American Crime is that it becomes just an actor showcase in a lot of ways of people mm-hmm. really digging in and doing really interesting work with really interesting characters. So even if the story may not coalesce, which again is just like supposition at this point, we at least get the pleasure of watching some really good actors do some really interesting things. And I think that's, that's, that's not always something we get on broadcast television, let alone like television across the board. So, well, you just set me up so nicely there, Noel. And this is why I've been enjoying the last two episodes of elementary with Kitty coming back because we're actually seeing good actors do good work with characters. Yes. This is what elementary looks like when it's good. <laughs> yeah. Well, plot wise, not so much. No, but, but interpersonally, very, interpersonally, very interesting. really good. Right. Right. No, I, I feel like 
just let's get the plot out real quick and then we can talk about all the character stuff because the character stuff's the good stuff Mm -hmm. uh the plot stuff for me felt like one of those two-parters that castle would do Mm -hmm. where castle got in over its head doing crazy things with the government (laughs) and me always going this is ridiculous why is the nypd even involved in any of this Ah, why is department of homeland security and it's just so much is happening why is castle in a command center um castle should never be in a command center exactly and so this kind of like when like with the department of intelligence uh the defense intelligence or whatever it was yeah and just the guy basically wanting to manipulate the united states into a war with iran also feels like it was conceived and written before the trump election (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah there's that there's that aspect of it where didn't really have to manipulate anyone because based on the budget, we can kind of guess what they want to do. Yeah. Um, so it, it feels a little antiquated, but also even though Holmes is like a fictional literary character would get involved in these kind of like world shifting matters. It made more sense when it was the 1800s mm-hmm. <laughs> more so than it does in the 20 teens. And so it was just all very ridiculous and silly and a little difficult to like kind of swallow the degree to which all of this was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but who cares? Because the character stuff was really good. Yeah. Tell me why the character stuff was really good. Because not only is Ophelia Lovibond terrific, but that what she adds to the Holmes Watson dynamic is really great as well. It it lets us see different sides of both of them. And the warmth that we get of the three of them together is, is just a lovely thing to see. Uh, and the other main thing, not just, so like if she came back for anything, that would probably be fun, but she comes back so that we can have the relationships tested. And so that we can see a different side of, to think we know what, what Sherlock is going to think. And then actually in Jones, I think he might surprise you. And then actually, no, he is upset, but about a different thing than we thought. And and actually, again, have us be surprised with more depth than we are expecting. And and so much more cons- uh, thought and reflection from that character. And frankly, at this point, from the show. Yeah. Um, so that 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 payoff that we get in the, like in the the surprise in the first episode and the stuff with Joan and her in the first episode is really lovely and then the the payoff with Sherlock and Kitty in the second episode and culminating in a in the baptism which is just absolutely lovely and th- neither one of them care about religious ceremonies but they it's lovely to be asked and and it's, yeah. and it's a formal you know ritual and a uh, cementing of of their bond it's is absolutely lovely it is. And I, I, while you were talking, I went back to like this idea of character development and character growth and with Sherlock very specifically in terms of like he's he's upset that he didn't know about Archie because he thought they were friends. He doesn't he he's very thrilled that she wants to like step away because she's happy. She's found some other reason to like channel her energies and everything. Mm-hmm. But it's because he didn't she didn't tell him about Archie that he's upset and this idea that Sherlock even in season two wouldn't have been upset about this in any way shape or form but now he's like he's upset about it and and he's a little upset that she doesn't know why he's upset 
Right. And that's the other thing. And all of this like boils down to like this idea that you and I were talking about a little bit just in the previous segment with the flash and them not letting Barry develop. And it's just like, this is a CBS procedural character development is not necessarily something that's baked into these shows. Mm -hmm. And here's a show that's on its fifth year going, yeah, no, we got character development. We don't always show it to you every week. But when we do, it's a big thing for our characters. And it's it's such a great moment. And like you said, like the 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 god the godparent ceremony is just it's so good and Sherlock's so clearly touched by it. Mm-hmm. Like he's just like, I don't know what to do, and she's just like, I don't either. And it'll be fine. Who cares? Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh, this is so good. And so no, it was really, really touching and just it was a really it was a, all the character stuff in between all the dumb plot stuff was just what kept the episode going. And I, I just loved every minute of it. Yeah. And it was, it was just a, a it felt like a breath of fresh air in the show mm-hmm. and in mm-hmm. what like it's cause I still enjoy, I still watch it every week. I still enjoy elementary just as, as procedural TV, but this is like that reminder of, yeah, no, we still can do that. We just aren't, a lot of weeks um is it shows i guess it just shows for me if if you have really great character stuff i do not care about how stupid your crime stuff is if you've got great crime stuff and stupid character stuff i probably will still be irritated yeah so so hopefully this is in you know it'd be lovely if this was not just like a fluke if this then leads into other similar like refocusing on character for the rest of the season but either way i'm glad that we got this two-parter well, don't worry, Kate, because there's still probably plenty of Shinwell stuff left for them to focus on. Yeah. Let's See? move on. Let's See? move on. Be careful what you ask for. If it's done well, I'll be happy. You know I will. Um, <laughs> I know. So we have next feud, Betty and Joan, and I'm just going to keep this brief. I don't, I don't know what, sure. you, what you thought about this one, Noel, but I was really irritated with this episode because like, it was, it was you know, again, well-made, well-acted, all of that stuff, except that it presents as true that the choice the director has is treat everybody with respect, keep a peaceful set, or get a really great performance from these two actors by putting, pitting them at each other's throat. There is absolutely zero sense from the show that these are two really good actors. These are two great actors who don't need to be at each other's throats off screen to give a good perform, they can pretend to. That's what acting is. Um, and, well, and, and obviously, this- you've never studied Sandlowski and done some method work <laughs> that which doesn't exist really yet. But yeah, but it's like they they already have a, a lot of animosity. They already have a lot of ego going on. They don't need more to push that, you know. And so, and if it was a, a feeling of that's how the characters feel about it, that would be one thing. But it really, at least to me, was presented as, no, this is what is true. This is what the show argues the reality is. If the director hadn't done this, the performances wouldn't have been as good. Um, And to have no character even raise an eyebrow. Like, I was expecting Alison Wright to raise an eyebrow. Well, like, Molina's character's wife. Is that Alison Wright? No. Alison Wright is, like, the assistant. um, Oh, right. Okay. No. Um, No. but, But no, like, his wife raises an eyebrow and basically tells him not to do this. But no one cares about her. Yeah, but to right. be a good person, not to make, not for, like, there's no sense, like, because you should be a decent person, not because, right. 
um, you can still make a good film. You can still make a great film, even if you aren't. And uh, again, it's just this idea that you must suffer for your art, for the art to be pure and true and really speak to true emotions that I just, it, it's such bullshit um, that uh, I get really annoyed. Like it, the lack of respect for Betty and Joan from the show as actors in that I was feeling in this was tremendous. Like they needed to be puppeted by this director in order to give these great performances. Like, Really? Really? Anyways, did you have any thoughts well, on this? I think some of it is also just more of a... Well, I think that it's twofold in that, one, it's not just um, Aldrich. It's Warner, very yeah. specifically being like... And he's the one who pushes this. It's not like Al Aldrich executes it, but like Warner is the one who says, no, look, it's there. You just need to crank it up to 11. And this is how you do it also so that their names are in the papers still so I can get a lot more buzz going for this without having to do much more work. Mm -hmm. And so th that's where a lot of this is coming from. But also it's just like, I think one of the things that it's demonstrating, and I didn't necessarily feel a sense of disrespect from the show, but more so sh showing very much like this idea of masculinity intruding and this very toxic version of masculinity saying we need these women to do this for us to make us money mm -hmm. and i think that's where i was coming from with it even if i agree with i can agree with where you were coming from with it and the degree to which that the sh they're both very clearly being manipulated the show's not making any any um any bones about that but I think a lot of it is more so like trying to demonstrate how the studio and men in particular are trying to control these women who develop this project, how are playing these characters and are being like manipulated by the men around them to do this. Yeah, very and successfully manipulated. Very successfully. Without any, like Betty gets a one moment of where it seems like she's in, she sees what's happening, but then yeah. immediately is just like, like, uh, the director's making the moves on her and she's like, that's cool with me. And again, chooses to blind herself to all this again. It's just like the lack of agency given these powerful women. I mean, and they didn't right. have power in the industry, but they're powerful figures. Right. Um, was frustrating to me. Yeah. And I can see that, but I, I still feel like a lot of that is channeled through like, again, through a period piece, but also through the fact that, the show is positioning them very much as people who fall victim to their egos. Um, and I feel like they're, it's, it's probably a little too soon to have done this episode, I think is the big issue in so far as it's a little too soon to expose like tragic flaws for want of a better term. And that this is feeling very much set up like a tragedy in a lot of ways that these two women shouldn't necessarily be at one another's throats, but they're at one another's throat because the system, because men and, but they can't see past that necessarily, or won't see past that because of ageism, because of their careers, because of their ego, because, um, bet Betty has that, uh, scene with her daughter, um, Karen ship is killing it already. And, where she's just like, you couldn't stand everyone looking at me and all this sort of stuff like built into what all of that means. But I, I feel like maybe reception wise. Yeah. I, now that I'm talking about, it, I really do feel like this was too soon for them to start like rolling this particular angle out when they're, it feels like they've barely started shooting still. 
Yeah. I mean, it might, it probably doesn't help that I am aware that according to pretty much every other source, other than the book they're basing this on, they Mm -hmm. were consummate professionals throughout the entire filming process. Right. And any issues right. they had with each other were was kept off screen because because again these are professionals there to do yeah. the job, um and 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 their feud actually kicked up more after the filming so that may not be helping, but um yeah I was getting and and I was just getting frustrated with the the instead of making these characters more complicated and more more shaded it, it seemed like they were just really making them simpler and these are not these are very complicated ladies uh women they 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 had a lot of stuff (laughs) driving them and it really this episode it's they don't like that they're old uh air quotes old um and they don't like that uh young people are younger than them and that is it they don't that that like they're insecure because they're old and that's their only way to view their value um and and so hopefully we will get back to the more nuanced writing for these characters and the new more nuanced like shading of them that we got in the first episode. Fingers crossed. I mean, I recall saying that they treated both of them with a surprising degree of respect last last week. Mm-hmm. Um, considering I was expecting much more camp. Yeah. Um, but this is this doesn't still doesn't have any camp, and I'm still weirded out by that. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. We'll see. Um, yeah. Our last show of the week is The Good Fight, Stoppable, Requiem for an Air Date, which is the episode about the Law and, or- the law and Order, right? The Lost Law and Order Special Victims Tr- Unit episode. Trump episode, yeah. Right, um, which had Gary Cole as the Trump figure. <laughs> because really, things are weird. <laughs> I really enjoyed that they just went all in on the meta for this. Yeah. Um, I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun with this episode. What did you think? Well, it's meta with a point. And I thought that was the really kind of key thing. Like if it's one thing, if they had just done like this weird kind of meta joke, mm-hmm. but it feeds into this idea of like a lot of the discourse of, as a resistance to Trump and this, even though the Kings have like given a, a couple of interviews and we're just like, we weren't really taking any knocks at NBC. And it's just like, guys, <laughs> come on you're you're not you're pull the other one and sell me that bridge in san francisco because <laughs> no one's buying that because you're taking very serious knocks at nbc with like this direct aim right i mean all you do is not name a network that's all you do in this mm-hmm. <laughs> but you say it's one of those chicago shows and the opening scene is a law and order in a sexual card <laughs> yeah yeah you're very clear in your target and you're taking knocks, but it's also like we, there's a responsibility to, at least within media and culture, I think they're arguing Mm -hmm. to do stuff like this, to not shy away from possible political or commercial retribution because they very, very quickly as an aside mentioned the fact that, the unnamed network is concerned about an FCC uh, ruling concerning their owned and operated stations, which God bless the good wife for not getting into O and O's and all of that, because mm-hmm. we could have spent just 20 minutes talking about how O and O's work and factor into the television market, but they didn't because they just kind of assumed everyone knew what an O and O was, which amused the shit out of me. <laughs> and I, but I still liked 
the fact that they like were standing up for this idea that there's a there's value in art as standing up to politics even if also while condoning this idea of well we're standing up for art insofar as it's going to make us a great deal of money (laughs) and so that kind of capitalistic bent that the show doesn't judge these characters for but values them for wanting to stand up anyway but also get their due i think it's just really fascinating from like a an ideological standpoint for the show and also just the fact that this is a tv show talking about tv in mm-hmm. a non homage non like referential way but in a very direct critical way i think is really interesting and it's just something that doesn't happen mm-hmm. yeah the show is weird kate it is it is weird and i and as I was watching it, I was thinking of our conversation last week about mm-hmm. would this air on CBS? And this episode would absolutely not air on CBS. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Sunday's, this Sunday's episode definitely wouldn't air on CBS. But <laughs> um, the, yeah, it's just, a, it's such a weirdly topical show that I'm, I'm pretty convinced that any idea that they were going to do something really character driven, which I feel like was what they were going to do, mm-hmm. just got tossed out the window. Yeah. After the election. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, uh, any thoughts on what we get with Gary Cole here this week, um, or with like, do you think is too big a play to to make her name partner already in episode five? Um, it it's too big of a play. But here's the thing: with I mean, you watched all of The Good Wife, mm-hmm. and you know if there's one Deus Ex Machina that The Good Wife loves, it's Neil Gross and his endless money bags. Yeah. And the way that he just solves all their financial, any, any firm's financial problem immediately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's what happens here. Like, and this gets back again to this idea that I feel like they had a really interesting character thing ready to go with Diane and just went, well, we want to do all this politics stuff more than that. So Diane's not going to have to worry about trying to find a studio apartment in Chicago for 2000 a month, mm-hmm. to which I went, that doesn't seem like a thing. <laughs> <laughs> and to which I also went, well, we've solved everything financially that was going to be an issue for Diane. I think so that they can get Diane a seat at the table for all the law firm politics. So she's not just outside that door anymore. Yeah, I, I would have rather. It happens too quick. But yeah, I would rather see I a little why. later. Yeah. Yeah. No, I would rather see that more at like the end of the season than the middle sure. of the season. Um, but maybe that's my just confidence that there will be a next season show. There is. There already is, right? Didn't... Yeah, they are they renewed it this week. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um so so I we'll see. As long as there's some fallout from this yeah. being such a big play so early and you know, her, again, her hiring Marissa instead of the long list of qualified black ladies women and men that they sent in for that job for that assistant job um you know like i i need there to be more fallout of that so hopefully that's coming and the last thing i'll mention is that as delicious and evil as matt perry has been as christiva like the perfect antidote to that is elizabeth tassioni I love yes. them bringing her in as like the counterpart to his particular brand of evil here. Yes. Uh, it was wonderful. I feel like Chicago just needs to like issue like a citywide alert not to mess with Elsbeth Tassio. <laughs> right? 
Yeah. Because she 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 will just leave you bleeding in the gutter while she compliments you on your tie, and she will legitimately mean that you're wearing a very nice tie. Yeah. You can <laughs> at least no. know that you're going to die in the gutter as you bleed out. Yeah. Looking good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I'm... Can you talk for a second? Talking to talk, talk, talking. Okay, thank you. I accidentally, like, pulled my headphone out. Ah, okay. So. Um, but... Yeah, it's just, it's really good because Kristeva is very difficult to beat. Yeah. Just logistically because he just lies constantly. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, like, Elspeth doesn't lie. She just is so charming that she's able to get what she wants mm-hmm. without trying very hard. And then it's just like she pulls her recording trick because that's what she does. <laughs> and that's such a good life thing. And just that again, it's like, in case you'd forgotten. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, it's just, oh gosh, Elspeth's just the best. And mm-hmm. I like how she's able to really kind of shut him down in a way like Justin Bartha's character can't do at the Department of Justice. Yeah. Because his boss is just like, doesn't care. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's really, really good. Yeah. 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 Oh, I love Elspeth. So much. Okay, what wins your week in drama? Um, yeah, I'm gonna give it to uh, Good Fight this week for just a really weird, but thoughtful and interesting and socially like weirdly relevant type of episode this week. Um, what about you? What what won your week this week in drama? Yeah, definitely Good Fight for the same yeah. reason. It just it was so much fun because it it had the character stuff of elementary but also the fun and everything else mm-hmm. surrounding it that we were maybe missing there so uh yeah yeah really had a lot of fun with that one um a few show notes here at the end of the of the week in tv you can find a post for this episode up at the televerse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's tv you can email us the televerse at gmail.com you can also find us on facebook like the page and start up a conversation there or find us in itunes where we have an m4a chaptered feed so you can skip between different shows uh and we also have an M, uh, mp3 chap uh unchaptered feed and we also have an MP3 unchaptered feed if M4As don't work on your pod- playing de- podcast devices. Um, you can also, of course, find us on Stitcher. We would appreciate any ratings and reviews either on Stitcher or on iTunes because that does help other people find the show. Um, and then we are also both on Twitter. I'm at the Televerse, and Noel, you are? At Noel RK, and you can find me recapping The Flash and The Good Fight on TVGuide.com. And now we will take a break and then come back with our audio from Clexicon, our panel, It Takes a Village, Allies in the Media, with uh, moderated by, by Dr. Elizabeth Bridges um, and featuring uh, from TV Junkies, Bridget Lazuski and, of course, Noel and myself. A big thank you to Clexicon for that, by the way, one more time. And we'll be right back after this. I must conceal what I'm made of Maybe I'll just make 
it to straighten up my curves. I'm so tired of that image, that's my word. What if today I don't feel like putting heels on? Who are you to criticize when beauty's on the Yeah. <laughs> um, and so uh, I know, um, but you are all kind of bigger media adjacent. And yeah. so, um, so I, I'd like to hear kind of a little bit about your media outlets, kind of how they came to be, what you do with them, and, um, and some things like that. And maybe a little bit more about kind of what it personally means to you to be an ally in media. Go ahead, please. Um, the TV Junkies is just a place for people that love TV to come together and talk about. Um, we were started after the... TV Guide Canada folded, so it was kind of started with the mindset of we're going to cover Canadian TV in the same manner that we cover United States um, programs. So because we cover a lot of Canadian TV, um, I feel like queer representation is uh, it's, it's much more prominent in Canadian television shows than it is in the U.S., so we get a little bit more exposure to that, um, to, those, to those stories. Um, and I guess just being an ally means um, helping to promote your voices um, helping you be heard while also listening and um, not, I guess, not treating your stories in a different manner that we treat other people's stories, treating them all the same. Um, and if it's being written good, then great, let's highlight it and celebrate it. But if it has problems, then um, just in the same manner as there's problems that we don't have enough women directing or, or people of color directing, we're going to call that out. Well, if we don't have enough queer representation on television, we want to help call that out as well. So. 
Go ahead. You're the one that started the podcast five years ago. I just I joined suppose. a year ago. It's been five years and you just met? Oh, no. No, no. I haven't. Okay. Yeah, no. Yeah. Well, well, I started the Televerse podcast um, as part of, I, I was the TV editor for a website and a blog, and um, it was, I, I really, like, I have so many opinions. Clearly, everyone must listen. I, I like, you think I've grown over time. Um, but uh, it was... It just uh, something I've always been fascinated with television and and um, storytelling and all that great stuff. Um, and I found somebody who would let me, so I did. Um, and it's been going for five years now. We're coming up pretty soon. We're going to have episode three hundred. Um, I've had a series of co-hosts. Noel is the most recent and most fabulous and most fantastic. Yes, yes, yes. hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, so we've been podcasting together for over a year and what three months? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but, um, but, but yeah, so, so I, for, for me, allyship, um, is mostly about knowing when to shut up, which is a lot of the time. I don't know if you guys agree, but I feel like that's, that's the case. And, and, and knowing when using what, if you have a platform, using that to, to find other voices that you can, you can trumpet out there and, and, and reblog and, and retweet and all of that great stuff. And it's also, for me, it's a lot of, Reflection and looking at the ways that even if you consider yourself, you know, God, capital W woke, what are the ways that you are contributing to the problem? Which uh, for me, uh, even just a few years ago, I was like, wait a second, what is, we used to have guests on every single week, how are we doing on a representation? I went through and did like a statistical analysis because I'm a nerd and was like, oh my God. It's like all straight white dudes. What am I doing? I'm part of the problem. So being able to have that, um, that introspection to, to look in and, and listening to the queer voices around you, listening to the marginalized voices around you, and and promoting them, but also being willing to look inside what am I actually doing with helping versus how much am I hurting, even just through uh, obliviousness. Um, so that's what I that's what part of what we try to do at the Televerse and cover as much, whatever TV we find interesting, but a lot of that tends to be for us trying to find marginalized voices and marginalized television um, that we can really promote as well. Um, yeah, I, I also write for yeah, Freelance at the UV Club. Don't get much opportunity over there because there's such a wonderful group of, of, of queer and, and uh, marginalized voices. Uh, they're already taking care of that. <laughs> so, but, but that's what we try to do at the Televerse. Now it's, it's to you. Oh, great. Um, is this on? I don't... Yeah, okay. Uh, you have to really talk right into it. Right, okay. Well, maybe I'm just loud enough projecting. Uh, so I've been writing about TV for, God, almost seven years now, both unpaid and then five years paid at this point and first at tv.com um, and now at tvguide.com and a lot of it has been focused on just episodic reviews but one of the things I've always tried to focus on and increasingly focus on is making sure that discussions of marginalized voices to Kate's point have always at, tried to be at least centralized and I was thinking about the shows that I've been tasked to cover, and most of them are superhero genre shows, and they all have ended up having elements of queerness in them. And then I wrote about Hannibal for an extended period of time, and I wrote about The Good Wife basically since the show started, and I've so I've been like dealing with Kalinda in various ways, shapes, and forms um, since that started, and I was never a big Kalinda fan f for how the show executed her. Um, but it's just trying to navigate representation and, to your point, talking about it when it's not particularly well done and how they can be better. And a lot of it is, like, since I have a 
different kind of writing platform where it's a much more broad type of audience is making sure that they're aware of these kind of issues, that this isn't the best way of handling this necessarily, or that kind of a thing. So I try to be as much of an advocate, but to also Kate's point, to make sure that I'm not replacing a voice or taking over a conversation because I definitely do not want to do that because I was telling Kate, like, I'm the least important voice at this table right now. <laughs> um, as a straight white guy, my voice is basically best suited to talking to other straight white guys when they're being dumb because um, otherwise I don't, I shouldn't be talking very much and now I'm going to stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do, I, I will say, like, I do think it's important that we're calling out when it's, when it's not when, it, when queer there's problems with queer representation, but I think it's also equally important to like be there to help celebrate the shows that are doing yeah. it right, um, or even like actors maybe that aren't um, queer that are playing queer characters yeah. and doing well, like the ladies of Winona Earp. Um, <laughs> you guys knew I would work Winona. Earp. <laughs> but like because I, I think not long ago um, actors were afraid to play queer characters um, or there was a, a neg negativity associated with that so like to even to help like promote things like that um, so I think it, it's yeah it's both sides yeah. yeah draw attention to when yeah. something goes wrong it's not because you had queer characters yeah. it's yeah. because you wrote it stupid <laughs> do it better <laughs> Um, I know there was a little bit of discussion uh, leading up to this convention, actually, to, to the role of allies, not only at this convention, but also kind of in the movement as a whole, in terms of, of um, you know, looking towards better representation. And, um, you know, in terms of this particular discussion of, um, I mean, not only just the collective fandom, but just in general, 2016 and kind of what happened um, what do you feel like the role is that allies have played in that, and, and what can they play going forward? I don't know about you guys. Um, okay, so when when Klaxa, when, when that all went down uh, last year, and I, I started looking around and seeing different reactions, I think pretty much everybody at the con here loves Mel Ryan, right? Yeah. Uh, um, and so her, her pieces that she was writing were, of course, made a lot of sense to me, I thought they were great. But I was seeing all these different pieces, people shocked that there was a barrier gaze trope. And as a straight cis white girl, I was like, have you never watched TV? <laughs> even I can see, it's like, I'm not that old, and even I'm noticing this, you guys are supposed to be experts at this. It was really shocking to me, the, it feels like a choice, the blindness in a lot of, even like critics that, you, would think of as allies or spaces that you would think would they, they get this right they understand this and there was so much there was so much discussion of oh they're just entitled their fans feel like they get they get to choose what it is and they just don't like that their favorite characters the lack of perspective was in lack of an understanding of history was really shocking to me I was like is this how I'm feeling what are all these people who are seeing themselves represented in this character that I just think they're cool I think it's really fun and really well done and really powerful but I'm not even having that personal level of it. Um, so, so that was really, that was educational to me. Just you know, like looking around and seeing, okay, I need to clearly do more work on this as well, highlighting to people in my circle and to my family and in my, you know, in the, the, the level of platform that we have, um, that this is a larger significant thing and maybe instead of your instinctual response is, no, you're wrong and please stop talking, maybe it should instead be listening. Um, but the other thing that was just so wonderful for, for me to see coming out of last year was the, 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 the galvanizing nature 
of, of the last year with, with LGBT fans deserve better, with like those billboards that got put up and, and the, the, uh, the greater understanding like all the difference, like the, that, that list on autostraddle of all like the history of, like just pointing out this is the thing that goes back years and years, the decades, the entire history of television. It's not just this one death, it's not just this one fandom. Um, so that was the, the, for me, what was most interesting, uh, seeing the response around it in, in, the, in the ally community, just this, if your instinctual response is to tell the people that you're theoretically an ally for that they should just be quiet, yeah, you need to maybe look that up, the term in the dictionary, look up what you're supposed to be doing and do some reflection because it's, it should not be happening. Right, leaning on this idea that anyone can die in the show but is as an excuse is just a terrible, terrible thing. Yeah. And it just fed that sort of a narrative and wasn't productive. It, it dismissed. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't useful in gauging fan reaction and anyone's reaction, basically, because, like, I watched it at 6 o'clock in the morning. You had texted me because I had to review Legends of Tomorrow that week. <laughs> and you texted me, and sh you were just like, oh, this, is, this, this wasn't good. And I just went, okay, well... I was mad. Yeah. I was really mad. Uh, so I watched it at 6 o'clock in the morning and just went, oh, yeah, that, yeah that's, that isn't good. And then it didn't click until, like, two hours later when I'm on the com my commute to work. I just went, oh, Willow and Tara. And I just went, oh! And so it was just one of those things where it was just, like, all of this buildup. And like you, I was just like, how do you not know about this? And that was one of the things that I was really excited about with Mo's piece is that this is something that was in a trade publication. So there's literally no excuse at this point. Even if you ignored fan reaction, if you're a writer or producer, this was in your trade publication that you ostensibly should be reading regularly. And there's no excuse at this point now to be like, oh, I didn't know. There's, you can't anymore. And I think that's really good that you can't say that anymore because we can go, hi, Variety wrote this. <laughs> So, so I will have to be honest and say I was one of the people that wasn't totally aware of Barrier Gaze. I wasn't. Um, I did watch Buffy, and, and I always thought I was, like, a person that was, like, fine. Like, I'm okay with queer stories, whatever. Um, but I didn't, I didn't know um, at all. And it did take pieces like Moe's. Moe's was the one that, that started it. Um, and I saw that, and I thought, oh, my gosh, like, I totally didn't get it at all. And then we have a lot of, um, a lot of the fans that come to our site um, started talking about it. And I was like, oh, this is, like, a really big problem. So we have, like, these are our regular visitors that interact with us all the time. So how can I help and not be part of the problem? So that's sort of where we came up with our queer representation series sort of came out of me going like, okay, how do I get all these people that I really like, they all like the same shows as me, um, how do we get their voices heard and what power do I have to help that? Um, so our series was all about talking to showrunners and writers of shows that were doing it right, like, um, like uh, The Fosters or um, Faking It. We talked, and then we talked to actresses like Way Hot those ladies, and um, we so like to help uh, to help promote like what are they doing that we can like get all these other shows doing, um, and just getting the voices out there. So I definitely was like I fully admit to being one of the ones that didn't know, um, and and I do like to think I read a lot of different TV publications, but Mo's was the one that was like this is the problem, and so she's like an amazing example I think of how an ally can help. 
I don't necessarily, well, like, I'm in a weird position with my writing in that I'm actually answerable to someone else who may not necessarily share my agenda. And so I have to, like, moderate more so to deal with him than to necessarily deal with anything else. I lost a lot of freedom when we merged sites. Um, so I think that it's, finding a balance I think is really important, but I don't know the answer to finding a balance. Um, and, but my initial response is, if I'm alienating someone, then I almost, then they're not ready, basically, is kind of how I feel about that. Then they can come back when they feel ready or they've had an experience that kind of wakes them up. Because, like, I was thinking about this a lot right before this panel, was, like, my whole life experience with queerness is has been very normalized in a lot of ways in that my family never talked about it, but we didn't have to because we had like friends who were out and open and even like a godparent of mine figure type was gay, but no one ever told me until I was like 15. And then I was just like, oh, okay, that's fine. And it didn't like, there wasn't a conversation about it in any way, shape or form. So it was just one of those things where I feel very much along the lines of if they're not ready, then there's very little that you can do. And aside from just like, maybe tying them up and then <laughs> just like clockwork oranging them and just forcing them. But I don't feel like that's super useful. Uh, so I think that's where it is, is like you do your the best possible thing that you can do, but if you feel like you're alienating someone, then I feel like that's more on them than necessarily on you. But that may also just be a lack of empathy, but it's still where I am with that answer to that question. Sorry. I, I didn't want to filibuster. No, I absolutely agree. Um, it's something that I think a lot of us experience in different ways um, in our lives. And I know, um, I'm sure everyone in this room will have different thoughts on our current sociopolitical situation in the United States right now. But I know um, if someone doesn't want to hear, they're not going to hear it. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter how you say it. If they don't want to hear it, they're not going to hear it. Uh, you could be as, as kind, as generous, as polite, as thoughtful, as understanding of their background and their situation as possible, and they're still just going to feel attacked. And it's the, um, I'm going to butcher the quote, uh, when uh, privilege, when your privilege, equality feels like an attack, that sense, that, that idea. And I know that, you know, just trying to tiptoe into conversations of, you know, maybe don't just default to calling women who are passionate, crazy, or hysterical, maybe that's not good, can immediately end up some feminazi. You know, like, I, I know that that's something that I've experienced. I'm sure that, um, that is, everyone in this room has different experiences like that, where they're attacked for very reasonable, very understandable, trying to, like, just nudge a friend or a family member along. Um, and so I, I think you just try, and if they're not going to listen, if they want to, to call themselves a Catholic ally and talk about how understanding they are and how, you know, then they're, they're going to do that. And hopefully they actually are helping. Hopefully they actually are listening. And if they're not, that's nothing you can really do. I don't know, that's really not helpful, is it? No, it's very <laughs> defeatist. I'm, I'm yeah. feeling terrible right now. Because also for me and being an ally, I think one of the important things is to not expect, like, to be congratulated for being an ally. Like, that's one of the things, like... This is why this panel feels yeah. a little weird. <laughs> yeah. so this is the, like, the previous panel, which was amazing. I don't know if any of you... Yeah, no, it was, it was great. Amazing. It was running long. I was like, you 
queer women, uh, queer women representation. You take our hour. You just keep going. Yeah. We do not take the, the, the straight people here, like, taking the time. You guys need the time much more than we do. So, yeah, it, yeah, that's not very helpful. Well, that actually brings me to a question, um, since, you know, the straight people here or whatever. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I think that, that it, every movement needs allies. I think that's really important because when you're talking about a minority group of people, you know, number-wise, it's called a minority because number-wise, it's a minority of people, and so you know, allies are necessary in order for in order to accomplish something. And so, um, you know, I, I guess when allies do bring something to the table that um, that the group in question maybe isn't able to, and so I was wondering, um, what is it that you all might feel that? Uh, allies to the LGBT community can uniquely bring uh, to the table that maybe we ourselves um, couldn't necessarily. Depressingly? <laughs> depressingly, um, visibility, because it just, like, that's it's not depressing. Well, but the fact that, that it's like you need to poke allies to, to have your voices heard at times is so sad. <laughs> it shouldn't be that way, but that's what it is. Well, it is. Yeah, so, so that's, some, that's a really obvious answer, but that's, I feel like that's the biggest thing. And um, Because obviously, you shouldn't need people to vouch for your own experiences, but apparently sometimes that is helpful. So even well, saying... That's, that's what I mean by we need allies. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, but, but that's, that's what it is. It's just like getting people who are more being in a unique position, and this is something, again, that I'm experiencing as a white woman who really doesn't like who our president is, looking around at 53% of people like me voted for that guy, um, I'm starting conversations that other people aren't able to start. And, and just, you know, that basic idea of what allies are supposed to do, which is, it, for, for people who are closed off to conversations, who are closed off to, you know, editors who are looking to hire a new writer, or... or or just any, any job, really, like saying, well, have you thought about this person that maybe you haven't heard of because you haven't put the time into seeking out underrepresented voices, or have you, you know, like, just entry into spaces, access to privileged spaces. Yeah. Access to privileged spaces, yeah. And for, for me, anyway, it's still very much like an issue of advocacy in ways of saying that this is a really positive thing. Like, I've, I remember, um, like, I don't, I don't get access to, like, traffic and metrics with my stuff, but, like, a friend of mine found a large quote from my season finale review of Hannibal that was getting passed around on Tumblr, like, massively. And I was just like, why? And it was this long quote of, like, paragraph of basically explaining the ways in which Hannibal represented Will and, Will and Hannibal's particularly or just like the one of the pinnacle TV romances of our time. And it was just this long thing about it, even though it's a very messed up relationship, I acknowledge that. But the, the depictions of it and the emotionality of it, I think, was why I latched onto it in a lot of ways. And I just spent this. And apparently, like, it really resonated with a lot of people. And I was very happy about that. But it's trying to find ways in which to give a different perspective or at least provide in my limited capacity that kind of a wake-up call or looking at it from a slightly different perspective as much as I can as, again, a straight white person and making sure that that it's enough of a click to someone who isn't necessarily seeking out 
those kind of avenues. And that's kind of where I act with it as much as I can. But like with Kate and I, and to her point about like the list of guests, like we made a really concentrated effort to try and find different voices uh, for our DVD shelf segments and with varying degrees of success. And it was... Thetelliverse at gmail.com if you want to recommend people. <laughs> I would like to hear who I should have, who we should have on. Like, please, 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 please. I'd also like to hear from Rudy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. Sorry. I was done, so yeah. yeah it's okay. <laughs> no, yeah, I think it's just visibility and um, maybe saying things in a way, just as we... I don't think allies should write um, from a point of view as a queer person, but we can, as Noel was saying, like, we can say it maybe in a different way. Yes. Because we, like, I knew how I felt when I didn't know about barrier gaze <laughs> and what got through to me. So, like, writing in a way that maybe lets other... Light bulb moments, yeah. basically. Yeah. yeah. So, um, since we've already kicked it off in the audience anyway, let's, mm-hmm. let's um, hear some more questions or comments. Or comments or topics you'd like to hear us talk about. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I was curious about how you all felt about this concept because there's on the one hand um, just, you know, you're wasting your time if you're if you're trying to talk to people who, who just don't get it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean, like, and it can be frustrating to just back off from them, you know, like, like XKCD says, you know, someone on the internet is wrong. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, I was going to say, I think so, because I've been the person that is, like, creeping on the thread and sees it. So I definitely think so. Well, yeah, and uh, the thing that I have had more success with is asking questions and getting people to answer them. So, like, so if I don't understand where someone's coming from or I think that they uh, are really closed-minded uh, around a certain issue, in this case, we like something like people saying that classic fans were just being bratty and entitled and be like, okay, well, why do you think that? And if you can, the more you can get them to open up, then, then you can, if they're willing to talk, if you can get them to talk, then you can have a conversation. Then you can say, that's interesting. Now here's my experience with that. And what would you feel like if this happened to, you know, on this show? You can find like you're in to that. Yeah, exactly. And there's always going to be people reading who are, who, who are not <laughs> that defensive, unwilling to, to listen person. There will be few other people reading. Um, if, if you're able to keep the conversation um, constructive, that's great. If not, maybe do a <laughs> fun last zinger <laughs> and move along. No, knowing when to move along I think is important too, but I think that's an excellent point that you bring up. Yeah. Right, and I think a lot of it, at least with my interactions, like within comment sections and everything, because uh, no one talks to me on Twitter. Um, <laughs> it, yeah, no, no, no. I meant like when people like respond to the podcast, they just respond to yeah. Kate because it's in the title of her handle, and yeah. I get looped in afterwards. <laughs> um, but for me, a lot of it is I'm very Socratic, so it's very much questions. I just keep. I keep asking questions of people who have a differing opinion because I feel like for me, historically, at least in my experience, the best way to deal with that is to make them interrogate themselves 
in that way as opposed to me like kind of like steering them is just like all right so explain this all right well that 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 that's a, that's an interesting point so keep elaborating basically and a lot of that also just comes from having taught a little bit as well like college undergraduates and being like so you felt that way about that say more and just like making them like interrogate them own own ideology basically I think is really important and is almost more productive than me trying to advocate necessarily at them and then I can like start peppering it in while I'm responding to their questions. Does that make sense? And just thinking, <laughs> huh? Does it? <laughs> and and thinking, you know that you want to have this conversation yeah. and if they're not ready for it Okay, but when they are, you're here, and you want to, you know, like ask them what they think, and be like, if you want to know what I think, I want to tell you, um, <laughs> but I won't until you're ready. Uh, I don't know if that, I think that can be useful. Thank you. Okay. Bueller? <laughs> Anybody else? Yes. No, no. It's very important, though. And different groups of allies, different types of allies. The inter intersectionality of fandom is really helpful for that. Um, and, and the more, and I think it's really interesting to see that. I, personally, I'm, maybe I'm biased. I'm, I am biased. But I, I feel like you see that more in, in genre fiction because mm -hmm. it tends to be more outsider narratives. Uh, people who are excluded tend to find more diverse casts, tend to find more, like whether it's uh, gender, whether it's ethnicity, whether it's, it's sexuality, tend to find um, more people who might connect into a show through a certain character. And so when you have uh, something like Lexidus, to keep going back to that example, um, and you have all sorts of different people responding, like you were saying, with the same note, <laughs> maybe, maybe it's good, a good thing for people to listen to. And if they won't hear it from us, and they won't hear it from you, maybe they'll hear it from somebody else. Somebody else? They're all regretting not going to the hall. Oh, I, well, I, like, I just assumed I was going to get in the hall side. <laughs> there hasn't been any like super loud cheers, so I don't think you guys are missing anything. <laughs> we can do a book all at once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we will lose that if we start a <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's not real life. 
I feel the same way about that being a woman. Like, mm-hmm. not even, like I feel like I've had to go to genre TV to see that as a woman, um, to see characters kicking ass or um, in genre they're allowed to be the president. Like, <laughs> so um, that's a point where I can really, really, yeah. <laughs> so that's that's a point like I can really relate to as an ally, and that's like so, so I. I connect on that level very much um, as well, but um, I forget where I was it's going always it. it's always interesting to me when this this idea of oh only in a sci-fi yeah. show or only in an alternate reality show realize the reason people there are people who are watching these shows because zombies yay or because spaceships which I get both of those things totally um, but also they're watching it because they can actually see themselves and if you put them someone who seems like them in a regular show they will watch that too. Um, and and the, one of the interesting things we've seen over as TV has exploded, hashtag peak TV, <laughs> platinum age, whatever you want to call it, is is the as as the margins uh, of what a show can get viewer wise and succeed, shrink and shrink and shrink. The nichification of television, you get more space for for more voices um, and and less of a sense that you have to appeal to everyone, which usually means you appeal to no one. Um, and, and so hopefully that's something that will continue to. Develop and grow, and we'll see there'll be more voice, uh, more spaces for, for queer voices in. Doesn't have to be, you know, a bounty hunter or, I don't know, space pirate. <laughs> no, I would, I would watch all those. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I can actually speak to this a little bit because, I mean, science fiction has always been kind of a laboratory for the future and, and yes. kind of ways of imagining possibilities. And so, I mean, that's something that the reason that I gra- gravitated towards it as a kid is because. You know, I got to imagine this world where X, Y, or Z could be possible. And, you know, I think Star Trek is a great example of that for, you know, pulling from old classics. I <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, I, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think it, it gives us a space of possibility and a space of sort of imagining, you know, how the world could be. Although, when you get into post-apocalypse, it's maybe how the world shouldn't be. <laughs> um, but, anyway, I, that's one of the things that's always attracted me to the genre, even before thinking, you know, clearly, overtly about feminism or queerness or anything like that. And I think one of the things with this idea about alternate realities or fantasy or science fiction is that there's also this weird kind of disconnect with um, just general knowledge about historical representation of that kind of thing. So it's just like I always keep reminding people that soap operas are always very weirdly progressive sometimes in their representation and depiction of certain things. Um, and But that also falls into this weird niche category of this is television for women who don't have anything to do during the day. And that's completely false. These are really complicated narrative situations. And, but they also, because in the same way that genre television has this sort of lowered expectation of engagement or purpose, that the same thing applied to like soap operas is that they can push around the boundaries more because there's there's less of an expectation in terms of being successful or that kind of a thing. So I think that we can where we should start looking in some cases 
for other different forms of it is looking at other smaller versions. So soap operas are a good example, but also um, even going back to like women's pictures from the 40s and 50s in a lot of instances. Sorry, my almost master's in media studies is coming out just a little bit. And, yeah. <laughs> and I think that that's really important. And that was kind of one of the things that struck me when I went to the, not to criticize it a little bit, but to criticize it a little bit, the early gay TV thing. I was just like, but there were other representations be before the Roseanne kiss. And I was just like, well, no one's going to talk about those. Okay. And I, it was really kind of interesting to that the idea of representation was limited to genre, but then also really limited to like the mid-90s. And there's a reason for that, but then there's also subtextual reasons. So if you went to the queer baiting and queer subtext, which was really great, um, one of the presenters had this really great, very academic um, chart about figuring out where we fall on expectations. And I thought that was really good, but it's very applicable to basically any type of genre, any type of format in terms of media. And I kept wanting, someone brought this point up to her is that all our examples were genre-based. And I just, I was sitting next to Kate and I was just like, but we could use this for soap operas too, and it'd be great. <laughs> and I was really excited about just that prospect. But I think that there needs to be more avenues for it outside of that kind of a thing. But that imaginary sort of thing allows them to basically be more progressive. Star Trek, again, being a really good example, but allegory, extrapolation, and finding ways to navigate that is built in, baked into the genre. So it's almost a lot harder for other forms to necessarily do that. And it gets back to an idea that was talked about a little bit in the last panel in that you don't necessarily want someone who looks like me to write your story. And I'm sadly the person in the room in a lot of cases, and you don't want me doing that necessarily, and you shouldn't want me doing that. And I think that that's where, again, advocacy and making room for those kind of people is really important. And yeah, sorry. I <laughs> went off on a weird, just mild tangent digression. I apologize. I, I also really like the idea of um, more mainstream shows as allies, and something like, they were talking about in the previous panel about the Shyamalan shows being a really great way to just kind of, you know, edge people into accepting queer characters and queer television as well. I think Canada's doing a really good job. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, just like your point, uh, and everybody hates on reality TV, on, on scripted TV. Yes. There are a ton yes, of LGBT TV. characters yeah. in unscripted television, and everybody, like, I guess maybe it is because everyone thinks garbage or because it's real it's more closer to reality and so this is my actual friend you know she is a lesbian she's going to be on the show too mm -hmm. bad um but i thought it was an interesting point you brought up that there are other places other than genre i mean genre is my favorite I right <laughs> i think we all do yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm here for plexicon yes so. well i actually yeah. like the point of the example of, of pedro zamora on um the real world and mtv in the early 1990s who was um who was a cuban-american guy who was HIV positive and gay, and um, he was the first person of any of those <laughs> categories you can name on any kind of show that I could think of, certainly with HIV, and um, he literally changed the face of HIV for America and for American media, and it was never covered the same way after that, and a whole generation of people saw him and could relate to him as a person, and so I think you know, there are different genres of TV that can really make a difference in terms of representation. And, um, but 
the fact that you know this, this stuff really matters, and, and, really, and I mean, he created a whole generation of allies, basically. Well, and I think um, real world is a different um, example of genre of, of reality, but I think a genre of reality that's really great for that is reality competition shows. Um, so, like. The, the, the queer lady representation on, on Top Chef is tends to be pretty great, yeah. Yeah. right? Uh, amazing Race, there tends to be more, and, and so the that, that points to something like the role of casting people as allies. For who are we going to put on? Are we going to only put on if we're going to put a, a set number of queer people on the show? Which I'm sure there's a rubric for that. Yes, um, probably. Almost are certainly. we going to make sure that we're filling? Do we want to reinforce stereotypes? Or are we going to be more creative? And I think with reality competition shows, what's great about it is that everybody, for Top Chef as an example, or The Amazing Race, everybody's there to win the race or to, to cook really well and hopefully get a bunch of money. <laughs> and, and so every now and again, we'll get a cutaway to the, the, their, you know, their partner, whoever it is, or their kid. Um, but that's not what it's about. So there's no need to, like, well, we need to cook up some drama. So we have to better kill some lesbians. Um, yeah, like, there's no hugging. Yeah. <laughs> they're just bad pets. They're such good friends. Um, but um, because there's a theoretically a different issue that it's about, it's about the competition. So we can have other stuff in there. But um, we, where we find out who these people are as individuals, not defined by their sexuality, but as part of, of their whole. So, some reality shows are terrible about it, so you think you can dance from looking at you. <laughs> um, we're a little bit over time, so I just want to end with maybe a brief statement from everybody, if you can just kind of give us a little succinct sum up, and I'm going to start with Bridget. Oh, thank you. <laughs> 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 I love being that. No, I think that's really good. No, I think I don't know is a really good yeah. answer. <laughs> um, I, I don't. I don't know. It caught me off guard. We're happy you're here. I know. <laughs> I am. Like I. I'm so glad. Like that. I. I, I worried about coming here. Um, honestly, like I didn't know if there there was a space for me to come here, but um, just because of the stuff that happened early on. But I. The way. Like I've just been so embraced, and I am trying to just sit back, sort of, and learn. Um, Kate and I have been sitting in the yeah. back in all our pa- yeah. all the Last panels. Row. So yeah. <laughs> so like the fact that like Noel said that I'm up here and talking about it, like I don't feel that I should be, um, but I just I'm I don't know. I think we feel that you should. Thank you. But um, yeah, it's just it's been a really awesome experience, and um, I I think I think I knew it coming here, but um, this has really proved like what a voice the queer community has and that you guys are powerful and and um they say like there's no there i don't know like there's not a big draw for queer like or if you write a queer story there's not going to be a big draw to it and like i i just think you guys have proved that it's powerful and so like (laughs) don't know where i'm going with this but um just yeah i god i don't know you're making me look so bad but (laughs) no i'm so sorry no, I think, no, no, no. I think I don't know is a good answer, but I also think like this idea of listening and being present in this kind of a space is really yeah. important because it goes back to this idea of listening and how important that is and realizing getting different perspectives. Like, I mean, this whole idea of creating light bulb moments for other people is still really important that I need more light bulb moments personally myself to understand everything and see everything from different angles. And I think that that's really 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 important and being present in these panels and being invited to speak but being present in these panels um 
across the weekend was really, really useful in that way and seeing how people, how you as a community end up talking about yourselves helps me to A, understand it, but B, also think about how I end up talking about it and making sure that I'm doing it in a responsible way as much as, as I possibly can. And that's really, really important to me. And to like wanting an audience for queer stories, it's just like, I want that too. Right. Even though I'm not, it's just like, I want to see that represented. Like when um, someone at the early gay, uh, early gay representation just went, I want like just a very mundane show about in a relationship, a relationship between two queer people. And I just went, I want a queer bat mad about you too, because that would be great. Because um, I love mad about you, but I would love a queer version of that. So that's kind of like where it is. Is like I want to be able, be aware of like needs, wants, and interests, so that I can know what to look for next. And I'll let Kate talk now. <laughs> yeah, the idea. Did I? No, I The idea that um, queer stories or any marginalized group's stories don't sell, or nobody, there's only so much, there's only so much of an audience for it is absurd. And you need to look no further than Latino, Latina uh, attendance of opening weekends at, at movies, and then the percentage of representation in the movies, which is so tiny, almost none, um, to know that there are giant pools of, of audiences who are looking for stories, who are looking um, for representation and looking to be heard. And I will finish this up quickly. <laughs> um, and, and, and so that the, the self-reinforcing system of, well, only we have to make stories for the most populous demographic, whatever it is, um, is absurd. You guys are powerful. You guys are, are strong. And we've seen that over the, the last year. And we're, we're going to keep seeing it, I think, moving forward. So um, I, we're very aware how privileged we are and how lucky we are to be invited to this space and to be able to sit in the back and listen. And hopefully y'all don't feel too observed, <laughs> like we're just studying, taking um, but, but it is something that we're very grateful for, and we appreciate yeah. you guys yes. welcoming us here at Clarkstown. Can I make a really quick comment? A very quick. Because you were talking about that populist demographic. Yeah. I want to say that's changing, uh-huh. um, and, and me personally, I've changed because of my daughter, and I talk to my friends, I talk to family members, I talk to people in my church, I said I was coming here, people are open. Mm-hmm. Those conversations need to happen, and not through attacking Yeah. I think that's a great way to put it. And with that, we are going to have to close. But thank you all for coming. <laughs>